What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Where It Went podcast, where we are discussing the Revelation Records discography in chronological order. Uh, We had a couple weeks off for spring break, and then we jumped right back into it with a banger of an episode with Richie Birkenhead talking about underdog. Uh, That was such a good... And you know, sometimes when you have vacation... And then you come home and you have like post-vacation blues and you're like, man, I like want to be on vacation again. But we were on vacation and then we talked to Richie and it was fucking sick. He's such a great interviewee. Some of those stories were so cool. And then David Foster jumping in was really good. And like, that was just a cool episode, right? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Um I don't, we don't have really too much to say. So before we get into this episode's interview, I think it it's already time to. Bo Revelation Records fans, this is Joe from Hellminded Records, and I'm about to drop some info on some of our more recent releases, including the return of New Jersey hardcore legends No Escape, Massachusetts melodic punks Owe the Humanity, and South Philly Thrashers Honey. Kicking things off, we have the crushing new six-song 12-inch EP by seminal New Jersey hardcore unit No Escape, featuring Tim Singer of Dead Guy, Kissing Goodbye and Bitter Branches, and Stephen Cordello of Turning Point. The first pressing is sold out on the Hellminded website, but you can still grab the few remaining copies at Rev HQ on exclusive yellow vinyl. Next up is the Hell-Minded self-titled debut LP by Massachusetts Melodic Quintet, Oh the Humanity. This 11-song shredder is for fans of Strike Anywhere, A Wilhelm Scream, and Propagandi. Dropping April 16th, this high-speed shredder is now available for pre-order on our website in multiple color variants. And finally, coming late May, we have the long-awaited debut LP by South Philly crossover thrashers, Honey. Featuring Jay Laughlin of Turning Point and Godspeed on guitar and vocals, this is for fans of Power Trip, Mind Force, and Iron Reagan. Pre-orders open late April. We've got a ton more in store for 2021. Stay tuned to our Instagram at Hellminded Records for more info on future releases and use the code where it went on our website for 10% savings on your next order. Spring break forever. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a... Uh... Commercial from Hellminded, our friends and fans. Um, there's discount code and lots of cool stuff coming down the pike. That Honey album. Will Wait, be did you say coming down the pike? Yeah. Like the mass pike? Last sure. night? It's coming down the pipe. Is it it is coming down the pike. pipe. It's coming down the pipe. It is coming down the pipe. No. Last I night on the mass pipe. Yeah, last night on the mass pipe. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure it's hold on now? I'm, 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 I'm Googling. Dude, I'm pretty sure. It's coming down the pipeline. Yeah, it's there you go. Full. Hold on. Coming down the pike. Because we don't have a pike. I am in California. It says, it says, is it coming down the pike or pipe? The new Oxford American uh dictionary <laughs> reports that the phrase coming down the pike means appear on the scene come to notice the oxford dictionary doesn't report the meaning of coming down the pipe the original expression was coming down the pike so i've eat so so my whole life is a lie 
is a lie. Yeah, <laughs> no, Mandela. Mandela. That's the Mandela effect right there. So, so I I think in the pipeline would be the the proper one, and in so the then people would would shart, shorten it to shard. Pipe. They would shard it to <laughs> coming down the pipe. pipe. Jason, what do you think? Pipeline. I mean, I'm, I'm over here. I'm I'm googling it. Yeah, and it says the original phrase "down the pike" means in the course of events or more recently in the future. Yeah, and down the pipe, as relatively, <laughs> as a similar meaning referring to things to come. Yeah, so they both work. I'll take they both. both work. But right. that anyway, the honey record. By the time this episode airs, looking here at my magical date finder, aka. A calendar. Um, I believe the pre-orders actually might even go live by the time you're hearing this, go live today, because I think it's by the end of April. So um, I can assure you that the, that Honey record, which has uh, Jay Laughlin from Turning Point, uh, it is a monster. So if you like, you know, that thrash metal type stuff with a hardcore twist, Honey, uh, you guys got any you know, it would be, you know, it would be cool. I'm just going to go ahead and throw this out here on air instead of in our group chat okay. is the only problem is, is that it would be dated is if we're, we had a, a, like a segment where it was like, what's happening at Rev this week, right? It might be like cool to keep it for posterity's sake, posterity or prosperity, posterity, <laughs> posterity. Because this week it was announced that there's some Slipknot stuff coming out, right? A nice yeah. glycy print. Uh, it looks like a reprint of an old shirt, right? And then a new design, and then a new color of the Slipknot vinyl, green vinyl. So yeah, I mean, looks nice. All that stuff and is is cool, right? Don't kill me. I think it's Geekly. Hey, there you go. So, so when you're in uh, your group chat and you send someone a like a miniature movie of something that's happening, is that a GIF or a GIF? I go it's GIF. GIF, but I'm GIF. told it's GIF. It's GIF. I say okay. GIF, but I was told it's GIF. Right, but it's it's an acronym for like graphics something. Which should be GIF. Right. right, it should be GIF. It's not peanut butter. It's anyway. not choosy, choosy moms, choosy uh, moms, choose gif. Choose gifts. <laughs> so anyway. Your, do you have a favorite gif? Oh, you what do you oh, think yeah. I use? I use the fucking Kim Kardashian peeking out of the fucking bushes. That's right. I use that a lot. And I use the <laughs> Jack Nicholson from The Shining when he's like, yeah you know what else dude you know what else we use a lot then the john travolta and pulp fiction looking yeah that that one's that's a good one and then the (laughs) the homer simpson disappearing into the bushes homer simpson Simpson going into the bushes and and grandpa simpson walking in and then immediately walking out that's a good one too my favorite is the game of thrones one with where it closes up on the dude's face and then he gives the nod what which isn't that game of thrones I don't know. with Robert Redford where he's like, no, no I, like, I've never sent this one to you guys before. Maybe, I don't know. The guy with the beard? Yeah, no. I'll send it to you right now. That's, that's, uh, Grizzly, that's Grizzly Adams. He <laughs> did have a beard. Okay, uh, someone's going to know what I'm talking about. It's a pretty popular gift. The only real, the only I'm real waiting. I'm waiting in bow. real time to see this. The only real bit of bow I have for this episode is for, 
I just want to give a real thank you to every every episode I hear or read or see someone that surprises me that listens to our our podcast. And I'm like, whoa, this person does? Like, that's fucking cool. I still geek out on it sometimes. So if you're listening to this podcast right now, I just want to say thank you because like, I never thought that anybody would listen to this podcast, let alone the millions of people that tune in every week um, and keeping us high up on the charts, you know, the, the iTunes charts. I think that that's yeah. really sick. And um, of course, all of our patrons, everyone in the Discord, it's sick that that this is not just Hold on. how did you think this was from game of thrones the dude's wearing like a fucking yo <laughs> yo <laughs> i don't That's watch game Grizzly of thrones adams dude i don't watch game That's of thrones <laughs> adams and he did have a beard i don't watch game of thrones <laughs> well you should Hob, I was feeling what I was saying. I know. I was actually. That's not even Grizzly Adams. <laughs> no, I'm, that's, I'm wrong. That's, that's Robert Redford. In, <laughs> is, in that what? Really, is that really the <laughs> But yo, I was, I was sending it to Hob as in yo. I'm feeling what you're saying right now, and I agree. I love mm-hmm. it. It's nice that people are checking out the podcast and spreading the word. I wonder, I if, I wonder if Robert Redford would be into our podcast. Probably he. Uh, Anywho. Do you, have any, you guys have anything else to shout out or bid up, Bo? I do. It's on, hope, I, I got a real quick one, Greg. I hope it hopefully hurts. it's online. We talked about it when we first started on the Zoom call, but Nardwar, the human serviette, spent a cool three hours with Bobby at Vinyl Conflict going around the store. And so um, it should be online at some point, but uh, it's just a cool way to see the store if you haven't. Oh, so. wait, he was, in, he was in Richmond? No, no, it's Bobby Live. Okay. from uh vinyl conflict but nardwar would ask he would take questions so it was from people Instagram saying live? no it was on twitch twitch okay yeah and it was saying do you have any you know circle jerks and then bobby would go and look for circle jerks and then pull it out but it was a cool way to see the store and so oh, if you ever fun. want to check out vinyl conflict in richmond you can see it virtually and hit up their discogs page yeah i was gonna say i, I joke with bobby i was like i think i order from you like once every week i actually just got something from him um last week i got a sealed copy of teenage fan clubs deep fried fan club uh it's like a compilation of early like singles and stuff like that and it was still sealed and it was a great deal because they always have good deals and um <laughs> i can't stop thinking about game of thrones i don't know if that's what you're <laughs> laughing at or if you're it laughing is, it is. at me i'm um, embarrassed at myself and then- <laughs> And then, um, actually, that leads into my – well, first off with Nardwar, have you watched a lot of his interviews? Yes, I have. I love it. How about you, Hav? It's unwatchable in my opinion. <laughs> I, don't, so, I don't enjoy it at all. He, oh, man. The one that I had stumbled – I didn't know who he was and probably like when I first got YouTube um, – when I first got YouTube, like I – when I must have first gotten the internet in my house, because believe it or not, when my uh, wife and I first lived in our first place, we didn't, I didn't have a computer for like two years. And, uh, but I got YouTube and I saw that he interviewed Nirvana uh, backstage at some show on their very last tour. Mm. And I was like, who is, cause I didn't know his whole 
shtick, you yeah. know, being like, he was like asking these like really obscure, weird questions. Like, and you could tell like Kurt was really thrown off. Um, did you ever see that one, Jason? I, I definitely watched it and I don't okay. really remember. It's I don't still remember on what there. he pulled it, out on him. It's on YouTube and it's in three parts. Like one of the things he talks about, one of the one of the guys that like was Kurt's friend back in like the Aberdeen days, his dad did like a, put out a single and okay. he's like asking about that. And Kurt was even like, how do you know that? That's like a lot in, of more. It, it was in the, it was in the come as you are the Michael Azarad book, but um, <laughs> yeah, I digress. Um, but I wanted to give a quick bit of bow to uh, Adam Bender. Speaking of Teenage Fan Club, I had ordered another record from Discogs from him, and he included uh, a nice letter saying how much he enjoyed the podcast and uh, some goodies in there. And then he uh, helped me find some Sonic Youth vinyl for my collection. So bit of bow to Adam. And uh, he's also there's a Discord, a Discord, a Discogs, uh, Big Jim's Records, I believe, on Discogs, and you can check it out. And um, bit of bow to HBO and the Game of Thrones family. <laughs> Yo, I watched so much Game of Thrones. I watched the first four seasons at least five times each. What'd you think? How'd you think? Of, what'd you think of the ending? I don't want to talk about it. It was terrible, wasn't it? It was terrible. It was such it was a terrible. letdown. I'm yeah. glad we agree. Yeah, you know, I, if, feels good. Did you ever watch Dexter? Yes. Oh, I heard that also ended terrible. I watched I, the whole series twice. Oh, you watched it twice. That means yes. you must have liked the end of it. No. Yeah. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> the, <laughs> the end. The end was like the whole writing staff just said, "All right, fuck this, we're out." Yeah, and it, it, it didn't. It, it didn't get easier the second time either. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Game of Thrones, the second half of that last season was painful. Terrible. Never seen it. As you can tell, never seen it. <laughs> I can't stop. And I've looking. never seen Grizzly Adams. I can't stop looking at this and seeing him in like a fucking like suede and polyester or something coat. <laughs> All right, let's get into that. Let's get let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Giuseppe, cornuto. All right. Oh, go. So, hey, um, hey, hey. What's, what's happening? Up? What's up, everybody? <laughs> we are here today with Statue. We're here with Chris, Alex, and Randy from the band Statue. And we're coming off of a yeah. spring, spring break. We took a couple weeks off oh, here. Shit. And uh, I am so stoked to do this episode. All of us are really like excited to get into talking about what I think is one of the more mysterious 
releases on Revelation. And what I also consider in my top five uh, Rev releases, and I, I think I'm joined in that opinion by a lot of people. And a statue has a longer history than most people would realize. Like when I was growing up, I thought it was just these four songs. And then like another seven inch and CD came out. But mm. on the Chain of Strength, uh, I think it was on the Chain of Strength episode, mm. someone mentioned that there was something crazy like 70 statue songs. We, right? have, between, we have between 50 and 75 songs. Mind blowing. So and we we were a band for from spring of 1989 to winter of 1992. Well, we already know that Alex is like Alex's bedroom was the Riff Factory, possibly yes, of like all of all <laughs> of California, Southern California hardcore for a few years. So, is that where Statue got its start? Kind of. I mean, well. You know, what's funny is I remember talking to Chris um, about the band Think Again, which was a uh, pre-statue, pre-something to say. Yep. And, um, and you know, I remember Chris being like, hey, you know, this is something you should really like kind of, you know, this is, a, this is part of the statue uh, history. And, and, you know, like this is like the root of statue or, or something to say and, and statue. Um, you know, uh, Ran Randy and I were kind of work shedding when, when I kind of like, not to make, make it sound like Randy was my understudy, but like when I met him, we were just skaters, but, um, we had, we'd been trying to find locals in Marino Valley. And this is probably like 1986 or seven where, um, or maybe 87 where, um, I had, sh you know, Really, there was just nobody to start that kind of band with. Um, there were everybody was into like Motley Crue and Def Leppard and all that. And so to get a Hesher to play like Minor Threat was really difficult. And um, but I was able to play guitar and I, I showed like a neighborhood kid, this guy Salvador Salcido, how to play uh, power chords. And we started Think Again. And Think Again um, originally was Randy on the mic, me playing drums, and Salvador playing guitar. And another guy, Ryan, on bass. But um, Ryan wrote Durham, these like, right? uh, yeah, yeah. How did, I do? did you have? <laughs> did, did you ever meet him? No, I just got my notes really well. Okay, cool. Yeah, <laughs> he, yeah, he was really cool. Um, yeah. he was really open. He was really open to like doing like 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 a hardcore band, you know? Um, because because it was like the week before they were just straight up like metal dudes. Um, but anyways, to kind of just quickly get through that, um. So Randy was was really uh, just not clicking with those other two guys, and so he kind of fell to the wayside. And um, we we booked a show um, as Think Again, and I ended up playing drums and singing. And the show was with um, Against the Wall, Free Will, and Walk Proud, and it was in San Bernardino in a backyard. And um, it was the first time, like like my friends, you know, my friend's dad, like in his minivan, like took took all our gear. He dropped us off. We're waiting to play. We finally play. We play last. And like, and like everybody's just like watching, you know, that, and I'm playing drums and singing. And so we did that. And that's how I met like a lot of the, the, the like Orange County guys, like the against the wall guys, you know, but, um, 
but that band just played like one more show um doing something else like in, in like in out in the middle of nowhere we played like in a reservoir with like generators to like just a bunch of hessian dudes and and that was pretty much it for that but um but what was cool is is by the time um you know fast forward a little bit um you know when chris and i had met through through oh, against the wall hold yeah. on alex alex yeah how many how many songs did you think think again had we had that many. We probably had maybe like like maybe we had official like maybe like eight songs, and they were you know really generic. They were like they were cool, but they were like you know what they were kind of like Chris is they were kind of like the circle circle storm songs that you and I recorded. That's what I thought. Yeah, they were very they were pretty much that style because you know that's like that was my level of songwriting was like that stuff. And those circle you know storm I mean? songs rule. So that's what kind of was, I think again, it was, was like circle storm. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so, um, and you obviously like, you know, recorded some of those songs. So, yeah. So, um, so Randy was like this fucking badass who like learned bass overnight and, um, <laughs> and, and, and he just went to the local, you know, CJ's music, the only rec- uh, music store in Marino Valley bought, bought his like bass. And, um, let me, yeah, let me tell you how in. that happened. Actually. I, um, I remember talking my aunt into buying me a bass and uh, had she not done that, things probably would have turned out a lot different, but um, yeah, she, uh, she, she was cool enough to, to fork over a couple hundred bucks. And I got that, uh, that white, uh, that white bass. Yeah. The white um, spire, right? Yeah. Which is kind of weird because I don't know why I got a squire. I think because I only had like maybe like a $200 budget. I think it was like 199 bucks. But, um, but she believed in, in, you know, I, I convinced her apparently. And, um, uh, you know, I don't know, that <laughs> bass sounded really good. That, that, white, that white Fender Squire is on every statue studio recording. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Alex used to play yeah. it once in a while and chain, you know, he'd be like, ah, that you just too. bring your bass. Yeah. And, um, yeah. it sounded here? good, man. It played good. Yeah. So, anyway, go on. No, no. Cause no. that's not Randy. So Randy got that bass and that he talked his aunt into buying and it was sounded great. And, um, it played great. That's why I liked playing it. I would play that bass a lot. And, um, so he learned how to play just like really quick. And, and I think once I started just, I kept writing songs secretly. And I think Randy and I, since we were, we were now starting like high school, you know, going from eighth grade, kind of trying to start a band d- didn't really work out with think again. And then, um, so chain is kind of like starting up and, and now I'm like me, Chris and I are like kind of in show business now. And they, so Randy <laughs> is still my, like, you know, Randy is still like my buddy and, and I'm kind of like, you know what? Like, I, I guess I have these other songs that, um, you know, Randy would write lyrics on his notebook and I would see him at school and he would like hand me his notebook and they would be cool lyrics. So, Randy wrote like two, like two lyrics for our band, something to say that we ended up starting. And then, so something to say was just like, we couldn't find a drummer. We couldn't find, we ended up finding a guitar player, Brian Russo, but um, we were trying to start like a hardcore youth crew band. And we were really into, you know, like, like uniform choice and faith and all that. But um, we just couldn't find a drummer. And, and obviously like, me already playing with Chris, like that kind of fell into place where just like we asked Chris and he, he, he saw value in what we were trying to do, but, but we definitely uh, morphed from, 
you know, chain is happening, starting, and then and then it just seemed like right away, like like something to say. Me, Randy, you know, had some songs starting it up, and then and then it seemed like pretty quick where Chris was uh, down to like give it a try and, and you know get in the mix. Just so you got a timeline going here, so something to say uh, was going from spring of 1989. And then through the summer, I think it wasn't working out with the drummer you had. And then in August, yeah. uh, you guys asked me to start playing with you. So I jump in around August 89. Yeah. And that's where, that's where we're at in the timeline. Okay. So let, let's, let's so, give the, the, the other drummer some credit. I mean, that was Gary, right? <laughs> yeah. Gary Holt. Yeah. Yeah. Gary, you know what? It's crazy because like you would think him being all in the Slayer and just like <laughs> cool metal that he could just fucking rule. But for whatever reason, when it came to playing like straight up youth of the day shit, like mm -hmm. it was just like, it just wasn't happening, you know? And like, he was so cool. And he was like a neighbor, like Randy and I live, we're neighborhood, like we're like a neighbor, you know, it's, we live in the same neighborhood. And so did uh, Gary. He lived right around the street from me. He had a cool Pearl Export black and, you know, he had all the fucking cool uh, Slayer posters on the wall. But for some reason, it just, just kind of wasn't working. And then, um, yeah, Chris was kind of like, um, really busy. Chris was like the Josh freeze of hardcore at the time, like playing <laughs> in a lot of bands and, and, you know, obviously like, you know, had his plate pretty full and I don't know why he was willing to just kind of give us a chance because we still were just kind of like, like totally like, like kind of not really sure. We were just kind of, you know, developing something just kind of really yeah. just not sure but just sort of like i guess i don't know it just it was just there was something about being freshman dudes in high school nobody else in town was aware of what we were into and i just think there was like this feeling of like we got to like show these we got to show our classmates like what this shit's all about like i don't know randy what, what do you think that vibe was between you and us you and i at that time um well yeah, I mean, I think we, we, I think we had a little bit of something to, uh, well, something to say for a little bit, and then we didn't have something to say. But I think we wanted to prove that you know we could, you know, um, I guess play in the same league, and and we pulled it off. I think so. It was funny because you know what you said is you know I never really considered myself a badass at base, but um, I remember did I did learn it pretty quick, and um, yeah, I think part partially because you were at a pretty a pretty high level. And I don't know, I think I just, um, I was like, man, I gotta, I gotta, you know, I gotta bring my A game to this. And, um, and then I remember thinking, kind of backtracking a little bit. I remember being like, Hey, we should get Chris to play. Um, yeah. because we couldn't, we yeah. couldn't, we just couldn't find anybody local. I think we wanted to try to keep yeah. it local, but it yeah. just was like, you know, we, we couldn't force it. So we were just like, yeah. you know what, let's just, let's just stop trying to, um, I guess, deny what we need to do. And that was, you know, yeah. Chris and the band. Um, yeah, totally. and then I think, you know, it kind of really took off, but, um, from there, yeah. because I think that, you know, between the three of us, we yeah. were able to, you know, have the lyrics and the songwriting and, um, it just kind of started to make a lot more sense. It started to click more. And, um, I don't really think we knew initially, uh, I don't really know that we knew it was going to be as good as it turned out to be. I mean, I hate to say that myself, but, um, I think we just, we kind of got lucky with, uh, with the formula of that. That's my opinion anyway. I mean, I think it turned out really well. Well, the re the reason I joined was, uh, the, uh, 
song that uh, became fueling was one of the best songs I'd ever heard. You know, Alex is, was one of the best songwriters in the country at that moment. Mm-hmm. And for all of statue. So I already saw that there was incredible potential because he was able to write such tremendous songs. And we also had a, a song called reflecting, which became reflecting seduction. And so those were, those were from the first batch. So it wasn't, it wasn't like all unformed yet. <laughs> mm-hmm. Alex already had uh, uh, the vision as far as the music, um, what needed to happen. And he had the, he had the songwriting chops to, to have an A game and go all the way with it. So for the songwriting, Alex, what were you, how were you writing the songs for something to say? I mean, were you drawing influence from, I tried to put my finger on it and we came up with Jane's Addiction, Skewbald, Severin, and, Negative uh, on Severn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we weren't listening to Severn. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. You can, you can, when we, I was, um, Jason had pointed that out to me and then I, I had mm-hmm. listened again to the Severn LP, but that's around the same time as Statue, but it's just kind of a, I feel like it's almost more like a happy coincidence. It's like they're kind of doing a similar <laughs> thing. They're just DC yeah. dudes with the same mm-hmm. influences as us. Yeah. You, you know what? I, I mean, of course, the Discord stuff is, is just like, you know, Chris, myself, and Randy, we just, that stuff is just, of course, we love all that stuff. That stuff's amazing. But, um, you know, and I'm not even going to try to like sugarcoat it, but like I started and, and Chris didn't, didn't, wasn't um, uh, excited about, I think uniform choice was like the starting point for me. And, um, yeah, definitely. And, and, for for and, think again and into something yeah. to say. Yeah. Yeah. A uniform choice, unity, um, you know, and it's funny that like uh, there was a point where I remember Chris was playing a Neil for an answer and was like, Hey, you know, Joe Foster's playing the show with us at the country club. We should consider him um, for statue or, or something to say or whatever. You know, I, I just remember Chris, you kind of remember like bringing Joe Foster up to me. Yeah. We, we totally considered Joe for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, it made sense getting to know him like, you know, many years later that like, he just appreciated a lot of the same discord stuff. And I think that was probably why you, you, you know, was on your radar or whatever, but yeah, anyway, he has, so he has a whole sleeve of discord bands. Yeah. 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 He got inked mm-hmm. up with all of them. Yeah. A yeah. Snake's yeah. Tattoo. Joe's, Joe's got good taste. Um, yeah. I mean, you know what? I think originally like uniform choice, but you know, Chris was pretty, Chris was kind of like pointing out to me, like, reminding me that minor threat and articles of faith is probably and the faith are probably something you should really pay attention to a little bit more. And I think, I think I kind of listened to his, you know, his, uh, his recommendation to like kind of take a break from uniform choice and kind of really kind of go more for like the root of where the uniform choice is coming from, you know? And I think, I I think, I thought we should go straight to the source. Yeah, and, I think, and, I think, I think, no, I'm sorry. I just, it just, it's, you know, you already said it. Yeah. Straight to the source was like minor threat, faith and articles of faith. Yeah. Articles of faith was huge for us. That, yeah, uh, totally. the, the second album, the emo album, man, mm-hmm. that um, fucking rules. It, it sounds like an extra rights of spring album, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, and Al- yeah. Alex, Alex got a lot of Brad influence from that album. That, that was a yeah. happy accident that we got that yeah. involved. You know, you know, for me, I mean, I think uh, I was really just, I was heavy on uh, the uniform choice uh, vibe for a while. But um, I remember as soon as I heard um, Faith, that was kind of the game changer yeah. for me. I felt like, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, to be honest, you know, and yeah, I mean, something about Faith. I mean, even kind of just leaping forward just a little bit into Embrace. That was, that was a really big deal for me. And it's funny because I think, I mean, Chris, I remember you telling me like people didn't really like Embrace. They liked, you know, Rites of Spring. Faith, uh, Embrace was kind of like the, you know, diet version, right? It was like, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like the cool version, but I always thought Embrace was like just, no, I don't Embrace, know, man. It, Embrace was fucking killer and they were such a huge influence for their statue. I was listening yeah. to a ton of the unreleased <coughs> songs that, that uh, no one's really heard from statue. Other maybe like live videos, man. So many of them are embrace influence. Mm. Yeah, there's yeah. there's a couple songs where I'm like, oh, oh man, like right there, you know, it's like you just hear a couple things. I don't know, most people yeah. wouldn't pick it up, but uh, you know, it just pops into my head. You know, it's instantly when I hear them. But yeah, for sure. Yeah. So didn't is something to say popular in your high school? Like, was there is yeah. that your book? Yeah, that you yeah. Yeah. Can you talk about it, that? Well, you know oh, what's man. funny is is yeah. I want Randy obviously Randy needs to talk about this because okay. um because I yeah. was also, you know what, I was more like homeschooled and more I did like continuation school and all these like kind of like different alternative schools um in high school eventually. But um Randy actually went to school more than I did and um he was pretty popular amongst like all the cool kids and the cool kids had the parties and we would play them. And, okay. and that's, that actually, you know, when I, when I talk about playing our high school reunion, um, 20 years later, you know, that a lot of those, a lot of that, a lot of us playing high school parties was, was just Randy being friends with those, those popular kids. You know, I didn't, I was not social in high school. Um, Randy was a lot more in tune with, he was into surfing and he just was more into like, he was, you know, he was just more in the mix. I just, I didn't, I just didn't, I just was not. And so, you know, because he was like more social than I was, we, we, we played like the, not just like little party get togethers where it's just kind of stupid. Like we, there were fucking shows. There were like, there was a lot of kids there. There was like, it was, it was just as, I think just like, you know, if you have like a basement show and Bane or, or some band, hardcore band, this is pretty much the same thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, we, um, to kind of touch on that subject a little bit, um, I worked at a print shop for, um, in 10th grade, there was this thing called um, like work experience or I don't know what they called it exactly. But so you had, to, well, if you were imp- involved with it, you got a job somewhere. So I went down to this local print shop and I was like, hey, you know, can I, can I work here or whatever? And um and I did. I ended up working there. And anytime I had free time, I would make stickers. I would make something to say stickers. And for um, uh, for a while, well, pretty much the whole time I worked there, I would just make the stickers and I would just plaster the high school. And uh, we posted something on Facebook. I think Alex did not too long ago. And it was uh, my friend Leah's yearbook. And I had posted or uh, stuck a something to say sticker on there. And I said, for booking info, call. And it was my number and Alex's number. So I was like, just really trying to promote what we were doing. Um, you know, I mean, I was serious, but kind of joking around, but you know, that's what we did. We were trying to really, really promote 
uh, within, you know, the area that we could, because, mm-hmm. um, I think even during that time, I don't know if I was driving about that time. I think it might've been before I was driving, but you know, there was no internet. I mean, you heard about shows from people pass, passing out flyers and, uh, or, you know, getting stickers or something like that. So it was kind of a, it was kind of a big deal. I mean, um, the thing is what a lot of people don't know is Alex, in, instead of being at high school, uh, he was off touring. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> I, be- I begged my parents to let me go on tour with chain and they were like, this, that's not happening. Uh, you're, you're staying in high school. You're staying in high school. And, uh, so I'm stuck in high school and Alex is out like living the dream. And, um, you know, just, just FYI, uh, Alex's parents didn't know he was on tour either. Yeah. They thought he was in Huntington <laughs> surfing. Right. Um, so what, uh, what'd you tell him San Clemente or Huntington? Huntington. Yeah. Because, well, because when I played drums and against the wall, you know, I would have to go there for the weekend to hang out and, you know, at stay at Mike Madrid's and stuff. And like, he lived in like Sunset Beach, which is basically Huntington. Yeah. And um, I would, you know, they knew I was there. So if I told them, so when Chain would go do what we did in, in you know, in New York, I would just say, oh, yeah, I'm in Huntington. And they just kind of were like, oh, yeah, cool. Like they already kind of were, I already kind of, I kind of, I already had him trained to just think like, oh, yeah, he's gone for the weekend. He's playing drums or whatever he's doing. And, Did they ever um, get suspicious when you're gone for two weeks? You know what? Not really, but it's funny because <laughs> like, not really, for some reason, um, you know what? It's really, it's one of those things where um, if I had a kid and he was just gone all of a sudden, like I'd be like, where the fuck is this kid? But um, <laughs> I think, you know what? My parents were older and I just think they were just kind of over it. They're probably just like, oh, cool. Like one less kid to like, like, look out you know it's like it was just probably it was it was probably like a nice break and then oh oh yeah you you know when i come back it's like oh hey what you know where you been but no you know what i think that that whole like yeah i'm in i'm in i'm in orange county where you know i'm working on music i think i think i just kind of said well i'm working on music and they because i I would go and come back they just i just think like it might have been longer but they didn't they got used to it right i mean they must have gotten used to it yeah they got used to it. And because, you know, I was the youngest in my family and because all the bands, you know, eventually um, would start rehearsing at my, my house, you know, um, they got kind of familiar with, you know, this little thing that I was doing, which was playing music, you know, they, they got definitely like familiar with everybody coming over to our house and, and me being gone. And I just think they kind of adapted to what, you know, I was the only kid in their family. I was the only child that like got into music and playing ba- in bands. So, you know, for them, it was just like, uh, okay. Like, you know, like, as you know, like we played fucking loud and we all, all the bands played like full volume. And the fact that they put up with that is just crazy. And the neighbors too. Yeah. That's, that was crazy. Um, Hey, there's it one important, crazy. there's one really important story that I want to tell. Um, that I think people listening to this are going to be interested in. And it, I think it helped with um, something to say, uh, which obviously yeah. helped, you know, with statue. But um, uh, Chris, I don't know if you're around for this, but um, there was this, uh, the show, there was a show in Wrightwood and um, it was oh, yeah. with uh, Freewell and against the wall. And I don't, there might've been one other band, but um, no for now. Yeah. Th- Oh, was it? Yeah. Okay. So I didn't, I didn't remember that, but this was kind of like the springboard. This I think was kind of the starting point of something to say, kind of being like a real thing or turning into a real thing that obviously turned into statue. But 
So we, we're at this backyard show and the drummer for Against the Wall, he like didn't show up or I don't know, something happened. He was flaking somehow. And, he was um, hanging out with chicks. He was hanging out with chicks <laughs> and he would go to the show. Yeah, well, who wanted to was, go to Wrightwood, right? I mean, it was kind of like well, a he was. Yeah, he was like a surfer dude and he he had the opportunity to go get laid and smoke weed and hang out and party and just be like Jeff Spicoli. So he's like, fucking go play hardcore or go get laid. Fuck that. Right, you know, exactly. I'm gonna, so I'm gonna, go, I'm gonna party. So so I'm there with Alex and um uh there was a couple of other guys from high school, like Ben and whatever, but um so we go and then you know, word gets around that Alex plays drums and this these guys from against the wall need a drummer. And what was the guitar player's name? Joe, right? Um, Joe. Yeah. So uh, fast forward a little bit, you know, um, Alex is in Joe's truck and they're just listening to the demo probably like 10 times over and over and over (laughs) again. And Alex ends up playing the against the wall set. This is how I met Alex. So I was playing a no no for an answer, right? So Alex came up to me and said, hey, can I borrow your snare? Uh, so I can play with this band against the wall. And I was like, yeah, okay. So that's how I met Alex. Right. So he, right. Yeah. So, but that show, I think that, that, that backyard show, I think really kind of just, that was the starting point. I think from us being that really small local thing to something that was more like, well, it just kind of yeah. started to spread out. So well, Ran- um, Randy, I, I have a picture of that show. Do you remember what shirt you had on? Yeah, I made a homemade Think Again shirt. That's right. Um, yeah, Think I, Again had shirts. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, I, I made the shirt with, with, uh, with uh, black markers. And, um, nice. nice. Yeah. I, I, took my, my, I took a Devo album, my Freedom of Choice album, and I like made up the shirt. <laughs> and, um, and I wore it to the show. And it was just, just so like homemade looking. Nice. But, you know, I was, I was really proud of Think Again. And I was just like, man, I, I want to like, you know, we didn't have shirts. Mm-hmm. So I just made one. But, Any um, but you know what? Uh, yeah, did you guys do no. any recordings? No, we what just about, just what about like, like uh, practice tapes, just, boom box. just boom, just boom box. I, yeah. I do have, like, have them? boom box. Yeah, I do. I do actually. Excellent. Let's put oh, out man. seven. Yeah, that's, yeah. But <laughs> what's, but what's, man? but but to finish that quick story. Um, yeah. Uh, that Alex, man, you fucking killed it. I, I I remember just thinking like, oh man, I didn't know Alex was this good because you listened to these <laughs> songs in Joe's truck and just played this set. And I was just like blown away. And um, that was kind of just, that was kind of the, that, that was just like this reoccurring trend. Alex just always was on the next level. And um, it really made everybody else got to go like, okay, I got to bring it up. I got to bring up my game if I'm going to play, you know, try to play in the same league here. So I just remember really being stoked and just, and I, I remember after that, you know, that's when Alex started, everybody wanted Alex in their band. Uh, thankfully, you know, Statue was able to um, still kind of be a thing. Uh, because Alex could have easily just gone in like 10 other bands. But at that point, you know, we, we, you know, we started to just get more noticed and then, you know, it took the band a lot more serious. Obviously Chris found out, you know, who we were. And, um, but I don't think anybody really knows that story. So hopefully uh, people enjoyed hearing that. Well, I remember, I remember when, when I talked to Alex at that show after he played and, and I said, Hey, you're right on drums. He's like, yeah, thanks. Okay. And then um, I thought he was from Orange County because he was playing with Against the Wall. I, I said, so where are you from in OC? He goes, I'm not from OC. I go, where are you from? He's like, Moreno Valley. And that's like 13 miles from Riverside where I'm from. And back yeah. then there was probably maybe four straight edge kids in, in that area. So I was like, fuck, I have to be friends with this kid. You know, I have to, I have to know what the fuck's up with this. You know, he's, 
already straight edge. Already knows what the fuck he's doing. Already can play drums really good. All right. Yeah. Yeah. We need to be friends there. So literally everyone was from Orange County. If we could jump ahead to recording the something to say seven inch, which preceded filter the infection, correct? Was that recorded in 89 or 90? Okay. So uh, that was recorded in January, 1990. So let me kind of pick up the timeline here to keep it on track. Okay. So when I jump in in like August 89, we play probably three shows as something to say with uh, Brian Russo on guitar. Okay. And then, um, uh, that closes out 89 and then uh january of 1990 we decide we're ready to go record but um statue always records as a three-piece every record we have is the same three dudes it's it's uh alex playing guitar all guitar like 100 percent guitar is all alex and then alex is the singer randy's the bass player every time on both our records and i'm the drummer on both our records so it's the same three-piece you're always hearing so that uh, we went into Pendragon and mm-hmm. did that in January 1990, and I fucking love that record. That that recording came out so good. I mean, it's so it's so faith. It's so it has elements of void. Um, it has elements of like Swizz, and it has elements of embrace. You know, just it's really a great example of uh, how good of a songwriter Alex was at age uh, you were 15. <laughs> correct um i well i i, I don't know what well i guess i mean yeah, what your birth, year your was birthday, that your birthday september right yeah yeah okay so yeah. you turn you turn 15 and 89 correct i think so yeah yeah that's yeah. great that's crazy to me <laughs> we got you yeah you, well we got well, it's, so, it's pain when he was 14 yeah well here's a that time is such a blur to me because um you know what's crazy, Chris, is uh, by the time I be I was like driving a car in like seventeen, and then like nine, eighteen, nineteen. Like, I know that this those years between fourteen and eighteen or nineteen. Like, I think there just was so much going on with me and you, like doing all the you know, simultaneously doing so much in uh, playing in music that like, I kind of just like blew a fuse in a way, and like I think there was like. <laughs> You know, we talk about writing songs at 15. Like, I look back, I'm like, I'm like, really? Like, that sounds crazy to me to really think about it, you know? Hey, sometimes, so, the best, sometimes the best writers are super young, you know? So I, yeah. one of the things that's kind of like a fun fact about that, um, that Pendragon session, I don't know if anybody knows this, but um, uh, so there was another band that played, uh, recorded the very next day or the very next day after. Because I think we did, did we do one day or two days? We did one day. Yeah, so who was the band that played the next day? It wasn't next day. It was uh, like three days later. Yeah, well, I mean, you left your drums there. I, I wanted to leave my drums there, but that wasn't a good plan. <laughs> you know, there's other yeah. bands going to be playing there. Um, Inside Out's recorded three days later there. Yeah, so I don't uh, think anybody knows that. Um, hmm. That was that was interesting to have that like back-to-back uh, yeah. thing going on at the same time because – Obviously, Inside Out was way more well known. I think I don't know. I mean, it's kind of hard to remember at the time, but um, but yeah, I don't think anybody knows that. So anyway, just a fun fact. Well, what was interesting about what Al was saying in his high school years, you know, age fourteen through maybe seventeen, he packed in like most people's like 
total discography just in yep. in those years. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> people's ten year discography back in those years. You know, he yeah. Al was just a, a hit writing machine. Woke up and wrote three stellar songs before he had breakfast. Mm-hmm. So Statue played shows opening for Chain, right? Yes. How was that? Awesome. You know, yeah. Ryan, Ryan really early on uh, had a vision to have an empire. You know, he wanted, uh, he was approaching it as a Ian McKay. You know, he wanted to have a record label and a stable of bands. And Ryan, Ryan was the executive producer on both the statue records. I okay. You know, we didn't, he wasn't credited, but he was, you know. So yeah. he, he had a total vision to, you know, have a, the Inland Empire and Pomona Valley take, kind of take over. And uh, yeah, we created Spanky's. We yeah. Spanky's went on to be the premier uh, hardcore venue for all of Southern yeah. California in the years from uh, 1989 to uh, 2003 or whatever it was. Because Spanky's just has a location change and a name change, and it <laughs> became the Showcase Theater. But it's all the same people. Yeah, you know what? It's funny that you bring up Ryan because he definitely was a huge, um, you know, he, he, if it wasn't for Ryan, you know, we, I think us fucking Inland Empire Hicks would have been pretty fucked because for some reason, I just think he was, he was so like excited about what we were doing. And it's crazy to think that like, while we're chain is, is getting momentum and really just, you know, becoming something special and cool all on its own. He did, he, you know, I think it's, it's really cool that he saw value in what we were doing on the side and just wasn't annoyed by it or like kind of like trying to, trying to kind of sabotage it. He was actually trying to like pull us up, you know, and, and, and you know, paying for those recordings, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't a couple bucks, you know, that, that was a pretty significant, um, you know, an investment on his part. So I, I think him coming through and really kind of supporting us in that was financial, you know, I think that just, that just is, was so crucial um, and, cr- and critical. You know, I think Ryan was, is a huge part of our band. I think, I think he oh, really does, you know, absolutely. You know what I mean? Because like, how crazy is it that like your friend and your other band is like, Oh, your other band, I really think is rad. Like, you know, I, I look at pictures and he's like up front and he's like, has his fist up in the air. Like he's all stoked on us. You know, it's like, how yeah, and, all the, and all the videos he's air drumming right up front. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like that's, you know, most, most of your friends that are in your band are not helping you create another band. You know what I mean? That's pretty yeah. cool. Uh, yeah. pretty rare. It is. Especially like you said to, Usually I think a lot of times people in bands, when someone from the band's doing something else, they feel threatened almost. Yeah, oh, exactly. You know, that, like, like, oh, great, this is going to, you know, this is going to take precedence yeah. and then whatever. So how many so, songs did that uh, Something to Say 7-inch session produce? Five songs were recorded total. And uh on the seven inch, uh, it's not all five songs, and then the CD is all five songs. Yeah, and plus the two live songs, I think. So why didn't it? Make- it was uh, three three live songs, just for the record. Yeah, gotcha. Thanks, Randy. Why did it take five years for that record to come out? 
Well, Alex was <laughs> progressing so fast as a songwriter that once we'd recorded that, he'd already written a bunch of other songs that were like light years ahead of it. And then we never mixed it. Mm. We just did the, the studio recording, one session in and out. And then by the time we started thinking about mixing it, we'd already had all, this whole other set of songs. And we're like, wow, may, maybe we should debut with this other set of songs and not these songs. And so it kind of just became our demo that we shelved. Okay. And yeah. When that you was, listen, that was, and, it, and it was really unfair to those songs because they're fucking great. When you listen to the the earlier versions of those songs that got re-recorded for "Filter the Infection," it does sound yeah. like a demo. Like, you know, not to say that the quality is less or anything, but the 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 recording on "Filter the Infection" is just so big, and and the seven inch doesn't quite have that same you know, huge okay. sound. Okay. Let me, let me stop you there on that. Okay. What happened was in 95, Ryan told me, Hey, I'm going to put out the something to say thing. I said, mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Uh, I thought foundations over. He goes, well, I'm doing this, uh, ambassador records now. Mm -hmm. I said, okay. Um, I'm on tour with wool in Europe. Uh, wait till I get home. I'm going to be out here for two months. Wait till I get home and we'll take a look at those tapes that have never been mixed. You know, it's, it's unmixed. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll, we'll uh, go into a studio and, and do a really nice mix on it. And he says, oh, no, no, I want to get going really fast on this. I said, why? Let's, let's do it right and uh, put together a nice package for it and, and uh, do a really nice mix on it. He says, oh, okay, yeah, okay, sure. And then while I was gone, he just went ahead and went in the studio on his own without me <laughs> or Alex or Randy and oh, mixed it on his own. Sounds, sounds like a familiar story that we've heard before <laughs> from uh, Ryan right? Hoffman. <laughs> right? What's yeah. up, Ryan? Bit of bow, Ryan Hoffman. <laughs> yeah. As much as we love Ryan, Ryan sometimes gets super antsy and wants things done right this second. Uh -huh. And that was one of his worst moves, how bad he fucked up statue on that uh mix of that record so what you the product that went out to the whole world was never supposed to sound like that um the rough tape uh the rough uh, uh mix that we got from bill crodel the guy who owned uh pendragon uh you know he gives you a take-home cassette to go sure. listen yeah that mix that he did that night fucking rules and it sounds big and huge it totally stands up to the filter of the infection record so the world has not heard it the right way this whole time. Will we get I agree. To it? I agree. It's going to be awesome too. Cause I know. You know what? Yeah. That, that recording, that, that studio where inside out also recorded was fucking, that was a great studio. And, um, Chris is right. Um, what Ryan put out was really a misrepresentation of what that studio really is capable of. Um, I don't know why. I don't know why Ryan just. You know what's fucked up? It was when I was in World's Fastest Car in Japan at a record store. I see statue, something to say. That's the first place I saw a seven inch, and I was like, "What the fuck is this? <laughs> the fuck is this?" Wow. Yeah. yeah. And and it's and and then I and then I I buy this the seven inch, and then when eventually when I get home, I live in New York at the time. I'm like, this is pretty donkey. This is pretty far from. You know, what I recall that, you know, yeah, I agree with Chris, the, the cassette tape, you know, that studio was a really good studio. Mm -hmm. um, 
and what Brian put out was pretty far from what that you know what that recording really is. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, you think of um, uh, Chain of Strength, what holds us apart? How yeah. fucking great that the original mix on that seven inch sounds. Mm-hmm. And then you think uh, Inside Out, No Spiritual Surrendered, how fucking huge that sounds. That's how spat- Statue was supposed to sound, too. Yeah, a lot like, of a lot of good stuff came out of that studio in like 89, totally. 90, Outspoken 7-inch, Reason to Believe, yep. um, yeah, Jeff Yeah, Reason to Believe stuff. Yeah, that yeah. Reason to Believe album just fucking kills from there, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, and Ryan, Ryan was really lucky. He, he just was having a conversation with Brian Baker. And he bought Brian Baker's uh, cabinet off him, the one that was used for Minor Threat and Dag Nasty. Has a flame head stenciled on the back Ooh. of it. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. So it, when he bought that off him, he, he was talking to him about like uh, Dag Nasty and, and Field Day. He says, hey, where'd you record Field Day? He goes, oh, at this uh, place in Redondo Beach called Pendragon. It was really cool. We liked it. And that's how we got onto it. Just Ryan having a conversation with Brian Baker about it. And it's funny because that record sounds terrible. I think, well, but that, the others that's, that's in the eye of the beholder. Some people fucking love that record. I love the record, but the yeah. recording it like, that wouldn't be like, it's just funny. Cause that wouldn't have been my selling point to go there. But then that's if funny. I heard the inside out seven inch yeah. or the chain, yeah. I'd be like, or the chain. Oh record. yeah. Like I, I love the field day record, but the recordings like the, the weak spot. And I can't wait to hear these songs the way that you guys wanted them to be heard because to me as a fan like this was the only statue i knew like like hov said when right. that cd was by, almost by the like, way by the way hold that up again okay no not that hold up the lyric sheet uh-huh. yeah. okay see see the bottom picture yeah yeah that's randy on the bottom picture hold that up all the way that's Got the it. white base that's the mm. white base and that's Randy. there we go but oh. i thought the cd was like oh these are just like demos like, you know, and, and <laughs> yeah. because I didn't, I mean, I didn't know it was you know, before know. the internet and stuff. And it sounds so different. Like the songwriting to me progressed so much mm-hmm. yeah. onto this 12 inch. And what I guess I wanted to ask leading into the 12 inches, we've talked to Porcel a bunch of times and he mentioned that Statue was one of the bands that he signed to Revelation. We were, we were the first band he signed to Rev. And he had said that he heard it, I guess, a tape or something. And he was just like, you know, thought it was great. Yeah. Ryan had played them uh, the cassette tape of what we did at um, uh, West Beach with Donald Cameron, who'd worked on a ton of the Epitaph classic records, you know. And uh, yeah, Priscilla loved it. Okay. Pump the brakes here. <laughs> what recording from West Beach are you talking about? Filter the infection. Okay. The infection. So this is this is one of the reasons why I say this record is so mysterious. Imagine, if you will, me, a 16-year-old, fresh into hardcore for a year or so, and someone hands him this Revelation Records statue filter the infection. There is no information on here. Look on the back of the record. No. Back of the record. Okay, recorded at West Beach Recorders, but I, I didn't know what that means. On the okay, lyric yeah. sheet, there's like yeah. nothing. There's no when it was recorded. I didn't recognize any of the people in the like in the photos. You know, it's it it has this air of of mystery to it that I think really 
coupled with the kind of it's a little bit dark sounding in a good way compared especially compared to the other bands at the time and all of that together just gives you this package that's like mesmerizing um so thank you tell us about taking those other songs that are beyond the uh something to say recording and going into west beach studio uh it's exactly a year later uh that we went into west beach and we're really lucky that ryan was hip to west beach again ryan our executive producer sussed that out and knew what the fuck was going on with epitaph and stuff before we did and uh got us into west beach and and thank god because donald cameron got me that killer fucking drum sound so fast faster than any major label studio i've ever been in i i made a record with fucking roy thomas baker the guy who does like queen and devo and the cars and journey and foreigner biggest producer of the 70s didn't get me as good or uh drum sound as quick as donald cameron did because he was so fucking pro at all those epitaph bands yeah, I'd never had a kick drum sound that good, you know. And my toms and everything. What other what other epitaph bands did did he do? Do you know? Every one of them. Just start naming them. They're all yeah. done on camera. He engineered okay. every one of those records. The first Rancid. Yep. I think it was recorded there. Did he do the one of the studio, there. but I didn't know about him. The okay. instead record. Yeah. Well, under, understand that Brett uh, Gurowitz is producing those records, but uh-huh. Donald Cameron is the engineer on them. Mm. So we didn't have a we didn't have a Brett Gurowitz producing us, but we had Donald Cameron, and he Donald wasn't technically the producer. You know, we all produced it ourselves, but Donald Cameron should kind of have a producer credit because he just fucking slayed on that record. Donald so, Cameron rec- recorded "Drive Like Jehu," "Rocket from the Crypt." You know, um, a lot of nope. a lot of really, really he was. You know what? He was the only guy. When I sang on Statue for Pendragon, like that, that engineer was pretty far from making me feel comfortable. And I, I never got to do a proper vocal take. I just, the only recording that I did was like, well, while everybody was breaking down their, you know, the gear and putting it away, like I did like a quick, like kind of scratch track. But um, Donald Cameron was very accommodating when it came to like, you know, I was, I was probably 17 years old when we recorded um, Filter the Infection. And, um, you know, I think Randy, we had to like ditch high school, right? To record I, that. I, yeah. You're, you're, yeah. You're, si- you're 16 when you did Filter, dude. Wow. No. Yeah, he's, he's 16. <laughs> yeah, Donald, so, Donald, Donald was rad because he knew how to <clears throat> get a good vocal take out of Alex and, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, professionally produce his vocals and, instead of just like, hurry up, go over there, do it. Okay, you done? I'm yeah. looking at Discogs. He has a lot. He does have a lot of uh, yeah, it's like bad credit. religion, no effects, you know, all the super. There's a super chunk. Like, I guess he yeah. did a seven inch or something. Um, rancid, like Jason said, 411. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everybody so. started going to Epitaph. Yeah. Or, I mean, to West Beach. So, you know, about that West Beach recording, um, I'm pretty sure people don't know this, but. Um, you know, because we had a limited budget, you know, and well, we had any budget at all, just thanks to Ryan, but because it was limited, um, the three of us were in one room together. I don't think there was any kind of isolation on anything. So the music was all recorded with us, you know, like what, six feet apart from each other. 
And we did yeah. everything in two two takes. That's it. Two takes. So you were socially and, uh, distancing early on then six weeks. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you want to yeah, if you want to call it that. But um I don't know about you, Alex and Chris, but I didn't really know it was only gonna be two takes. And um yeah, you know, I I mean I don't think I could have done anything differently. I was playing as best I could. But um I don't most bands don't uh, do that. Most bands, no, you, you know, you have a chance to go in and punch in and fix things and no man this was it (laughs) this was it you know what we were you know what you did great and chris did great and like i think like to me like like to me chris's drumming obviously is like he's like to me he really shines on that on those songs and you know he, he gets to really show like a variation of his ability you know like you know you're probably not gonna see like no for an answer uh album like what chris can do and i think on statue he really did like show his like you know that he has like a broad spectrum of you know drumming style and um i just think like you know the we 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 were you know you us three um putting those you know getting ready for that we we it was a fucking it was like a military mission we went in there that morning and we set that (laughs) shit up and we fucking threw it down you know it was quick yeah you know it wasn't like, oh, you know, it wasn't like, oh, should we put more chorus on the guitar? It's like, no, we just threw down, you know, we just, we just did our thing. And it was like, cool. Cause like, I think once the, you know, Donnell saw like these little fucking kids come there and throw down, I think he just like, was like, oh shit. Like these are high school kids and they're fucking, they're getting down right now. It, it wasn't like, you know, I mean, if, you know, we could have been on Epitaph because of that recording. One one thing that was funny during the recording of that, um, there's like a big glass window and we're on one side of it and Donald Cameron's on the other side and we can see what's going on in his control booth in that room. And we're playing, we're doing the takes and uh, all of a sudden I see uh, a dude come in and start talking to Donald. I didn't really pay attention to it, but all of a sudden that dude walked up right up to the glass window and went right in front of it and started watching us. And this is a tall dude with glasses. And uh, he watched one song. He watched another song and he's sitting there staring at us really intently with his arms folded. He watched three songs and then he turned and he went back to Donald Cameron and started talking to him again. And then he left. And we, we did a couple more takes of this song and that song. And then we went out to listen to it with Donald. And after we listened to it, uh, Donald goes, he, stop the tape and he says uh hey guys uh, i just want to tell you um whenever whenever brett comes into the studio he doesn't watch the bands he says some stuff to me and then he leaves like never brett Gerowitz walked up and watched three songs of you guys intently and then told me that band fucking rules and then he left so that's wrong yeah so we were kind of like okay but you know, this was this was before, you know, everything was a huge fucking deal with Epitaph. So we were so focused on our thing, we're like, "Cool, that's rad." And yeah. We just well, keep, keep in mind that we were we thought we were recording for Foundation, not Revelation at this yeah, time. Yeah, totally. That was a Foundation record. <laughs> hey, Chris, do you remember when we were packing up your car with your drums and and Brett came out and was like, "Hey, like, what are you guys into? Like, what's like, who are you guys?" and kind of what's your fucking deal? And we were kind of like, oh, we love, we love Jane's addiction and reason to believe. And he was like, hell yeah, that's right. 
Like I like I, like, <laughs> like he was like he was he was feeling what we were what we were all about. You know what I'm saying? And uh, well, I think he was kind of seeing like, well, what are you guys gonna do with this? And we were kind of like, oh, uh, you know, we're gonna like we were just kind of like oblivious to the fact that he was pretty much he was he was kind of definitely like trying to see what we were what we were, what we were you know. We could have been on Epitaph and we were just like, oh, you know, Foundation Records. And we were just being loyal and cool to Ryan, you know? God, I forgot there was a whole part two to that. Yeah, he stuck around to talk to us and see what the fuck's up with us. <laughs> Guess we dropped the ball on that one. but Because uh... it's definitely a, un- it's a unique sounding record. Like, even though we can talk, like like Jason said, you, can't e- you, can, you can hear some of the influences, but it's its, its own kind of yeah, sound. Yeah, it's its like, own thing. The, especially coming from the hardcore scene and especially the the west coast like to me this record doesn't even sound like it sounds more either like if it is west coast it sounds like maybe san diego like we were talking about very early on the whole san diego thing or yeah. like you know dc and then it has that jane's addiction feel to it um so were there more songs than these that were recorded at the session that or were these no no there was just four songs recorded sadly we should have went through the whole set yeah we should we're laying them down so fast we should just nailed them all you know but you know ryan ryan was very strict with the budget you know let's get this we have this this many hours and then we gotta get the fuck out you know so we we kept it to four songs but um did you know it was gonna did you did you know it was gonna be a 12 inch um it changed forms a lot of times it was supposed to be a seven inch for a lot of times and for foundation there's a, yeah there's all kinds of ads for foundation that were on some of the ads you know oh there's probably like two or three different ads you can dig up on the internet that uh mentioned statue record coming sometimes it's a seven inch mm-hmm. sometimes it's a 12 inch so it was morphing crazily and i don't think we knew exactly what was going to happen until it actually did but, so um, the record was recorded in you said 90, 91. February of ninety one. Yeah. Wow. So it doesn't come out for two years again. Yeah. No. Yeah, that one had a lot of delays. See that? Yeah, that's just it's just you. You have to wonder, and I'm sure you guys wonder. Like this isn't this isn't a new news. Like you've probably been wondering this maybe for a long long time. But if it would have come out in say fall of ninety one. Especially like you figure like at that time, what was the climate of music? Like Nirvana started popping, Jane's Addiction was still big. Like you wonder, like this could have been a huge record. Well, I think I think it came out in a better climate in '93. I think um, had we we yeah. were already broken up. Had we been touring and stuff, the Filter the Infection mm-hmm. record in '93, fuck, dude. I think a, a lot of shit could have happened for Statue. Yeah. I agree. The fact that, I mean, the thing that's different about Statue as opposed to, say, like, Chain of Strength, for example, is Chain was touring, like, hardcore. Um, put in the work, you know, got, you know, huge reputation and uh, was able to, you know, amass a huge following. And Statue just, you know, well, I mean, so the recording, you know what? I was working at a bank. I was working at a bank uh, and I was at a party. And my coworker, Jason Hilliker at the time, uh, came to the party and he walks through the door and he holds up a statue CD. And I was like, what the fuck is this? 
<laughs> and he was like, look what I found <laughs> at a record store. And I'm like, what the fuck? And I, I, my, uh-huh. I was just like mind blown. <clears throat> and, um, and I remember shortly after that, I, I tracked down Alex and I'm like, what, what, like, what's going on with, <laughs> and he was like, dude, I didn't know how to get a hold of you. Like, you know, and I'm like, ah, yeah. like, but, uh, but I was so yeah. stoked to see that. But yeah, unfortunately it was so after the fact. That this was filter the infection you're talking about. You yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You, so you got to, re- so, oh, sorry. No, I, I just want to say like, you know, you got to remember like, um, you're, you're talking to like, me and Randy, you know, we're younger than Chris and um, you're talking to guys who were just about to start like their adult lives. And we were teenagers when, when all this was happening. And, uh, you know, like by the time we were getting our bearings and as adults, you know, now the record's coming out and now like people are starting to like recognize because, you know, we recorded this when we were in high school this this was our like between randy and i this was our high school band and we played our high school parties we played you know to our our classmates in high school and um fast forward you know now we're like developing ourselves in in real life you know as as young adults and um and alternative music is becoming normal and the world you know like i mean obviously like you know chris and myself we we still are, are continuing on like uh, playing in other bands um, as young adults, you know, Chris and I end up in other bands, <clears throat> join other bands are traveling and, and, and kind of worldly. And not to say like, Oh, Randy, you're working at a bank and you're not worldly, but like for you to like have your buddy on uh, my buddy, Chris, uh, Jason roll in with like the statue CD and you're kind of like, what the fuck? I kind of totally under, I get that. And I understand that, you know, I understand that we're like, this is something you did as like a, you know, as a teenager, you're like doing this. And then all of a sudden it kind of like, Oh, this is actually people are, you know, this is, this exists and people are, are, you know, this is like an underground thing, but like, this is, this is definitely like, this isn't just like some demo tape from some local band. Like, you know, Revelation Records is an official label. Purcell really loved the band for whatever reason. He made sure this came out because there was there was you know we had haters. You know we're not from Orange County. We're from the Inland Empire, and it's cool that like a dude from New York was like this shit rules. I don't give a fuck. Let's put this shit out. You know, I think it's it's rad that Purcell was like saw the beauty of what we did and just didn't really yeah. care. Like if we we didn't fit in at all with anybody we were just you know we were we were the hicks from the inland empire and purcell thought the band was just good and the recording was good so like it's like yeah this band rules so i'm gonna put it out like i don't even give a care like you know at that time in the early 90s nobody was really aware of like that you know hardcore was going to be this thing like like 30 years later like it was going to be this trendy thing you know for Revelation to just still exist is, is amazing in itself, you know, like, yeah, they put out a Warzone album was their first record, you know, a seven inch, like 35 years later, we're talking about, you know, our record, which came out in 91 or no, our record came out in 90, 93, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even though we recorded, I'm just saying that like, you know, there is something to be said about like, you know, this is the only band that I've ever read, like, fan mail from to revelation that i ended up with a bag of fan mail was you know 
statue had fan mail. Like I still just think like that's, there was an impact that was, you know, unique, I think because of this band, you know? Well, just like, um, what we did with chain of strength, we, we, uh, we got in a laboratory and we built a, we built a fucking tank to take on the world. You know, um, Alex and I were doing the exact same thing with statue. We got in our laboratory on our own to build a fucking tank to take on the world. And there was so much we we're going to do a statue and, uh, the record, you can hear how much we put into it is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Absolutely. Statue was no casual band. People think it's Chain of Strength's little side project. It, it wasn't. It was. It was a band we were trying to put everything into. So the, this was recorded ninety one, and then right. obviously, like we said, doesn't come out till ninety three. So how many? So did you ever play any shows while this was a released record, or no? Right. No, because you said something no. about we, uh, just like every Discord no. band, it was put out after we broke up. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> in, in, true, in true form, in true Discord DC style, mm-hmm. we did it that way. Yeah. So yeah, um, so you, you didn't get to like experience, you know, what it would have been like, I guess, to have never. people going off to. I know <clears> you, <throat> um, at least not until I know you got to play. Uh, yeah, like discounting the rain. Yeah. Um. What, what, why did the band stop? Uh, well, we, uh, we went from, uh, 89 to 92, right? And, uh, we had a whole lot of lineup changes, um, which actually we need to kind of go way back for a second. Um, when, uh, the original Brian, when the original guitar player, Brian Russo was out, we got, um, Scott Bartoloni from, uh, Heroin the San Diego band. And, uh, he was also in force down and, uh, we played a bunch of shows with force down and heroin. And, uh, he told me he was going to be quitting a uh, force down. So I pounced right on him for statue. Uh, Scott Barloni's got an encyclopedic knowledge of all hardcore. And he's, uh, uh, like me and Alex, he's, he's got the discord catalog backwards and forwards. He was like a really, really good fit for uh, statue. And he, he comes in at the name change too, from something to say to statue. Uh, so Scott Bartoloni joins in uh, May of 1990. And then uh, his debut show is the video you've probably seen in the flyer. You've seen uh, uh, judge shelter chain of strength um, statue, mind war and uh, the rage project. Uh, it's Spanky's. Okay. So that's that's Scott's debut show, and that's our debut show as Statue. The and Rage, the band, the band Rage, Vic singing. Yeah, yeah. Vic was okay. singing. Alex was playing drums. Frosty was on guitar, and Andy Alvarez from uh, Against the Wall and Pushed Aside was on bass. So, if people want to see this show, um, Frosty's brother uploaded this on YouTube not too like what two weeks ago. Yeah, but it, I, I think it's been on YouTube for a long time. Okay, um, you can watch yeah. it all. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. That, and that's, uh, that's a great place to hear a bunch of the unreleased, uh, statue songs. We play a shitload of them in that, in that quick set that we did. And yeah. There was only two songs that people have heard. All the rest of them are songs that nobody's heard of. Right. Oh, right. Wow. And, and that video is recorded well too. I was, I was watching it, um, two days ago and, uh, 
God, I was just super stoked on those unreleased songs, man. They sound so good. Total, total embrace influence. Yep. Yep. So this isn't an unheard of thing because it's happened with a lot, a lot of bands. Any chance of ever recording those, those songs, like the unreleased ones, like putting something together, like how, like, uh, when instead did their discography, they threw on a couple, uh, songs that they, you know, had kicking around that had never recorded. Well, so well, in some ahead, way, shape, or form, those songs will exist at some point, and yeah, they they will get out there. It's hard. It's hard because Chris retired from show business, so it's hard. To, you know, <laughs> we have to like we have to call up jo- we have to call up Josh Freeze and be like, "Hey, take a break from whatever you're doing," because our Josh Freeze is off duty, you know. But uh, no, you know, it's funny is. Um, it's, you know, when you talk about like unreleased songs, it's hard to like, in modern times, like when bands from the past sort of revisit, you know, their past and try to like, like uh, share it with the world, you know, it's like, what's the best way to do that? Like, I, you know, I'm still sort of like trying to figure that out, if, you know, because I mean, what's, what's, what's interesting is, you know, when you have this history, when you're the person that actually like is a part of like creating something that's people, you know, enjoy, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, you have this feeling of like, you want to share this with, with other people. And, uh, you know, when I was writing these songs as, 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 you know, at that time, you know, I, I was just, uh, you know, because of my excitement for music, you know, this, this music exists because I appreciate music. And I think like, <clears throat> you know, it was a time and a place where, you know, at that time, like I was able to like really focus on, on, on what I was excited about and, you know, working with Chris and Ryan, uh, sorry, Chris and Randy, um, you know, we, we recorded what we recorded thanks to Ryan Hoffman at that time. And you fast forward like 30 years or whatever, you know, those, those ideas are still relevant and they still are potent ideas. And I think the main thing is like, you don't, you don't want to kind of almost disrespect those ideas by like trying to act like, Oh, you know, I wrote these songs and as a, you know, and this is something I should, you know, share with everybody. Like, like for me, like I kind of almost wish that, you know, we could sort of show a little bit more because I think there's this gap between something to say in statue that is really cool and really special. And I still really like, aggressive music like just because the some just because the statue it to the infection sounds like it could be on k-rock and all slick and like really recorded well you know there are these songs that are like not as slick that are still really um exciting and um you know i like when we were were me randy and and chris when we were sort of excited about Swizz and let's say rights of spring and faith. Like there is like this batch of music that is just as cool and exciting. And it's just, and I kind of feel like <clears throat> maybe we'll never figure out a way to do it correctly in modern times, but, um, but there sure is a big junkyard of, you know, what we were able to like do at that time. And um, I don't know, maybe Randy or Chris can kind of help me like, sort of like you know back off from what i'm saying but um well no i i think that um i agree with everything that you said there's a lot of songs that i wish we would have recorded um 
And, you know, anybody who's like Jones enforcing, uh, I guess, stuff that they haven't heard for, definitely check out that Spanky show that was mentioned. Because like I said, there was only two songs uh, that we played that anybody's ever heard of previous. You know, the rest of the set was all um, unheard songs at the time. And, you know, we never, I don't know if we ever really played uh, another set that had that many quote unquote new songs. I, I can think of all the other shows. They were, they were more filled with what people, you know, ended up hearing on the, uh, on filter the infection. So yeah, if you want some more stuff, definitely listen to that spanky show or watch the video. It's, it's pretty entertaining. I, I, I'm curious. I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Chris. I have a question for the host. Go ahead, Chris. Kick it. Yeah. The, the, the high quality songs that uh, Alex was popping out, like just bam, 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 bam. Those songs on the on that Spanky's video, a bunch of those got dropped, and yeah, <laughs> it's sad. Yeah, yeah, we uh, we uh, we ended up writing, you know, our alternative rock bands in the '90s write in chunks of like thirty, you know, twenty five big blocks of of ten, fifteen, and twenty. Um, that's that's <coughs> kind of how we were writing, and that's how we ended up with such a high number of songs. Um, yeah. by the time we broke up you know uh 50 solid ones 75 forming ones do you Alex, have you had a question for us you said okay yeah well you us. know I, well here's the thing is like you know um this is, we're talking about you know I, I haven't listened to some of the podcasts you guys have done at, like with the last bands but um one of the you know i listen to to me randy and chris talk and you know we're we're such we're, you know, we have such a unique perspective on this that you guys as the host do not have because, you know, you guys just weren't there. And, and, and we are kind of a mysterious band on Revelation. You know, we're not, we're not, we're pretty far from Gorilla Biscuits and Bold and Chain of Strength, you know. Um, and, you know, it's interesting, like when I've heard Purcell talk about, you know, reciting us. And kind of like, you know, the haters that were there to like, be like, why are you signing statue? And it made me, it made me really proud to just be like, you know, cause they're fucking, that shit's like good. Sh that's like a good band. And, and I think if, when it comes down to music, you know, for me, like statue was all about the music. It wasn't really about like anything else, you know? Um, so I think like as, as, as like a guest on your show, I feel like, you know, it, you're talking about songs and all these songs and everything we did, you know, and shows we played and our connections with uh, other scenes in San Diego. The main thing is like, you know, us three are the core of this band and you're talking to the core of the band now and the songs that we're talking about, whether they're recorded or not, you know, this, these are, this is, this is like, it's, it's like the hardest interview I've ever done because like, you know, there's so much that you don't know about the band. It's hard to really kind of have this like back and forth with you guys as the host. I feel like I'm talking to the band and not the host right now. <laughs> yeah, we actually, we enjoy that. Like Alex, you as an interviewee, it's easy for us because you have been asking Randy questions and you and Chris talking back and forth. And I really enjoy that dynamic where I don't have to prod you and get these, you know, answers of weird shinfo from people don't want to hear people don't want to hear us. They want to hear you guys. Well, Literally, people don't want to hear me, I promise you. Well, I feel bad because I've heard enough of your podcast where you guys do kind of like guide the conversation. 
where I feel like we're just talking, I'm just talking to my buddies. Like, Randy. no, I love that. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, this podcast is just friends sitting around mm-hmm. talking about hardcore and whether yeah. we're yeah. just providing the microphone to do that or whether we're yeah. getting the information out, it doesn't matter yeah. to me. This is like interesting, important stuff that we, we gotta know. Like, is Jason but, but, still, but, but, is Jason's, is Jason still alive? Is he still I'm here? here? He's kicking it. I promise. He actually Are you wants. Sure? He really wants. Are you to know, fucking sure? He's got some he has questions question. about the artwork specifically. Yeah. Yes. I was just about to chime in and ask if you could talk to us about the artwork. Tell us about the um, the suits. Yeah, I want to know about the, the photos. Suits. Well, we, well, here's here's the suit. Here's the idea with the suits. <laughs> statue had a motto, right? In '92, the motto of statue was. Look like madness, play like Zeppelin. <laughs> what else can I tell you about the suit? Hey, so <laughs> I heard there's there's a madness. madness band. We, we were super influenced by two tone. Also, madness like general madness. Hey, there's an urban yeah. legend that when statue played, you guys yeah. drank red wine out of glasses and had there rose petals around the stage. Nope. Nope. We had rose. We had full-on flowers on the stage. Like everywhere. I did hear that. We 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 would go dumpster diving, like behind the flower stores. Like after they closed, they throw away like yeah. fucking great flowers, yeah. just yeah. tons of them. Yeah. We take the whole fucking thing, and we decorate the entire set, all our on top of all the amps, yeah. on top of all the drums, and then we'd litter the stage with it. So it'd be this big <coughs> fucking mess of flowers that were just going everywhere. And then we had uh, people behind us with the uh, the leftover flowers throwing yeah. in the air we're playing just like <laughs> explosions of flowers it was yeah, I think, so awesome you know it was cool because i think i think the 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 part of our band that we i know it sounds kind of corny to say but like um at a time when coming from like the youth crew hardcore scene where things were just pretty like really just already very you know restrictive i think um you know i know chris and i and randy um we were very, we were embracing anything and exotic when it came to like music. And, um, you know, even though we were playing hardcore, um, I think when we were playing the parties, you know, we, we would set up the, the place we, you know, if we were playing in a garage, you know, there would be like Christmas lights. There were, we would have pyrotechnics, homemade pyrotechnics, you know, <laughs> you know, we, we, we like you, Chris, Randy, do yeah, you remember those, 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 those lights? Yeah, we the had, uh, we had these homemade uh, light rigs that we control with like foot pedals and shit. We, well, no, no, we no, hang on. Garage show. No, hang on. <laughs> let me tell. Let me tell a little uh, right, a thirty second story about that. I had found some like super high wattage lighting <laughs> structure those. thing. I don't know what it was. I just <laughs> knew it was cool, and I got it like for like a couple dollars. And um, I didn't know if I really thought anything about it, but I remember showing you, Chris. And you somehow like had this idea and um, we basically used it for like stage lighting, but we had, you had somebody, some San Diego kid um, behind your kit (laughs) and it's in exact specified moments. We would flip the lights off or on and it was fucking like 3000 Watts. It was like, it was like eight bulbs. Each one was like super high wattage and it made it look so these, these tiny shows that like, you know um, what was it like, uh, 
Club Costa, right? Whatever they called that down there in San Diego. Yeah, um, in San Diego, we'd be playing these killer garage shows. You know? Yeah, and it made it look like a real kind of show just because of like the lighting. It was insane. It um, was really dramatic how it looked. Yeah, and yeah. no one was doing that in in '89. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So <coughs> inside of the record for the lyric yeah. sheet, um, we're talking to the chorus statue and everyone yeah. that recorded on the record. But yeah. um, for the names listed, we have Alejandro Aguilar Barreto, vocals and guitar, Ika Barker, guitar, Angelo. Ica. What is that, it, Ika? Uh, I'm sorry. Ika, yeah. Ika, okay. Ika Barker. Angelo Ica. C. Hervey, bass guitar, and then Joshua the Trap. But no Chris and Randy on there. <laughs> well, uh, Alex, you, could, you can explain that you one, could, maybe. <laughs> yeah, no, I can. You know, unfortunately, by the time the record was going to come out, I was the only one involved with sort of like, you know, sorting out the, uh, you know, there was, there was like a kind of false um, sense of continuing the band with other people. And those yeah. were those people. And Joshua was in, in a band called Force Down. And um, what she said, you know, um, a band that Chris and I uh, briefly did, um, like an improv band. We talked about that. Um, but Chris Hervey was an official member that replaced Randy when Randy kind of lost interest and wanted to like do like a cult cover band. We, we, we had to replace him. And unfortunately, um, you know, we didn't want to, but he, he, he didn't, um, stick around for the band. And by the time we re- we put out the record, uh, Chris and I were no longer, um, a part of this and, you know, me being the primary songwriter of the band, um, I had sort of toyed with uh, this version of the band in San Diego, but uh, I, I was not really uh, able to uh, carry on with that. So while the record was being produced and the, the, the layout was being produced, um, I was still kind of, um, you know, um, possibly going to do that version with uh, other people that were not Chris and Randy, but Chris and Randy, um, obviously are the you know the 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 official um members of the band and Mm -hmm. recorded all the music but they just you know apologies to both but unfortunately they did not get credited correctly and you know hopefully in the near future we can uh re-credit them both because you know they're both amazing uh players they're both amazing um you know Without those two guys, there was no statue. Statue is is Randy, Chris, Braden, and 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 myself. And uh, you know, Randy learning the bass overnight, and Chris just you know ruling on the drums. You know that that thank God, like we recorded it thanks to Chris, uh, Ryan. But um, yeah, the other guys were just kind of like uh, you know they they saw value in what I was doing with the band, and they were they wanted to be in the band. And um, I kind of retired from show business at that time briefly. And, um, but, you know, my last kind of statement was like, well, I want to put out this record that I recorded, you know, a couple years ago. And I was, I was trying to develop um, kind of like carry on the statue brand, if you will. But I, I wasn't able to with these people, you know, everybody was just kind of, it was a gong show, you know, it's hard when you look back at the time when you want to, you know, I wanted to really continue this stuff because I, I really did think it was good. I thought the music was really good. 
Uh, it was really hard for me, Chris, too, because, you know, um, Chris will, will really relate to the fact that we, we had a hard time finding uh, members to really uh, service the level of uh, musicianship that the recordings, um, you know, had. And, um, you know, we needed like a really, we needed a Tom Capone, you know, for the guitar. We need, we needed like, uh, you know, an Andy Rourke on the bass, you know, we needed, uh, you know, an Eric Avery on the bass. We, we couldn't get away with just like these like mediocre players, you know, well, um, you know, well, have, having said that, um, the guy we did get on base, uh, Chris Angelo Hervey, he's the guy who's credited on the record, but he didn't play on it. There's a whole era of, of statue in like 92 that we're playing with him on base and he's on all the shows. And then, uh, we had Ica in the band. He was <laughs> from San Diego. Yeah. Uh, Chris was from the Inland Empire. Like we were, um, mm -hmm. Chris, Chris did play bass how we wanted him to play bass. He did. He was able to play Andy Rourke and we yeah. were very happy with, with Chris. And, yeah. uh, unfortunately, uh, a year or two after the statue record came out, Chris was murdered and, uh, his, his murder is still unsolved today. And I just want to talk about him a little bit and give him a little more credit than, than, uh, he actually is, is getting. Because uh, he was he was a tremendous uh, uh, asset to the band in the time that he was in the band, and um, aside from Chris, uh, <laughs> when we had Ike in the band, he was great too. Uh, I agree, and, you know, and I think we need to give credit to uh, Brian Russo for something to say his time, and and, and Scott Bartoloni and Ike Barker, those three. Without all those dudes, you know, I think um, maybe you know Chris and I we wanted like Dave Navarro on guitar or whatever at the time, but like, you know, it's easy to kind of almost, um, under like not appreciate what you have. And, and I think, you know, because Chris and I were ambitious and we wanted to be pro musicians at the time, I think we really wanted to like have like these really like next level members <clears throat> that we just didn't have, but like the guys we did have, maybe they weren't, you know, like, like shredders, like Tom Capone or whoever, but like, they definitely like did, they did have something special that maybe we were, you know, we fucked up and didn't really like appreciate that. Like, you know, I, because of Ica, we had a great show, you know, cause, cause of the spirit that he brought and, and Scott, you know, when we, when, when it, I think when it was me, you and Randy and Scott and, um, and Ica, I felt like those, those, that was, I think to me, I think was when we were really showing people like something good, you know, I think we yeah, had the, something there. The 91 version of the band. See, we had like three different versions of the band. They're all really good for different reasons, but the 91 version of the band was probably the best because we had uh, two guitars. It was Scott Barloni and Ica Barker and Randy was on bass. And that was probably, <clears throat> the tightest we were and the craziest we were yeah. and, the rad, mm -hmm. and the raddest shows we we're playing. Cause we we're playing down in San Diego a lot. We were basically a San yep. Diego band because we had yeah. Scott from heroin. Heroin was one of the biggest bands in San Diego. And yeah. was, you know, the heroin straight up invented screamo, the, the fucking genre, you know, so they're, they had a lot of momentum as they were. And so he was in our band too. And then, yeah. uh, and then Ica was this super popular kid in San Diego too. And, and, 
he was heavily involved with like uh, the riot girl scene and Olympia and DC and stuff. So he, he was uh, very good friends with Kathleen Hanna, Bikini Kill and, and that whole crew. And, uh, that 91 was a killer time for us. And, uh, in a lot of ways, maybe we should have stuck with that lineup, but, um, we didn't, you know, we kept, we kept tinkering with the lineup, but like, well, I was you know, saying, yeah, we, no, it's just like, what I was, hold on, hold on. Randy, what, I, what I was saying was what Alex was saying, we kept trying to find this Tom Capone, Alex fucking was our Tom Capone. And that's why we ended up letting Scott go. I wanted Alex to be our Tom Capone cause he was so fucking good on guitar. And so we gave in 92, we gave uh, a shot with Alex on guitar as uh, lead singer and lead guitar player, kind of in the way Mike Ness does it in social distortion. And that lineup is totally different and is fucking rad too, in a whole different way. But um, anyway, so yeah, we did, we did get to have this amazing lineup with uh, Alex on guitar and, uh, Chris Hervey on guitar. Chris Hervey was also in that band Downcast that was fucking great. Chris Hervey's okay. also the killer drummer. Yeah. So, Alex, yeah. was was this uh, the last, well, not chronologically, because I know there's something to say CD came after, but was this the last recorded vocals that you have on a record? Besides, like, I know you did, uh, like, on the Killing Flame LP, you sing, like, a little mm. bit. Like, uh, I'm trying yeah. to think, is there anything else? No, you know what, I, I, what's funny is, um, you know, yeah, I, I didn't really aspire to be a vocalist at all. And, and, and I think it's funny because, you know, I still talk to Randy on a regular basis and, you know, we're still friends. And, and, um, when we were kids starting something to say and doing our bands, you know, we were always just like, how can we do a band, you know? And so, like, it's just kind of like, well, we kind of know this bass player. We kind of know this, or, or let's just try to get Chris on the drum. You know, it's like, it was never like, I want to be the singer. But what's funny is by the time Statue was getting kind of popular amongst our little culture, like, when we, you know, we did kind of have our own little following in our in our areas, you know, being San Diego and, and Marino Valley and then the Inland Empire that were not really related, you know, based on our like the hardcore cred of our other bands. And, um, you know, once we were playing um, and people were paying attention, I, I noticed that I didn't really feel comfortable being like the center of attention. And um, I really didn't really, you know, pursue being a singer because I just was like uncomfortable with that much attention. But um, what's funny then- is I was, yeah. So go ahead. I, I just, go ahead. yeah. So, and, th- and this was what was frustrating for me and, and was kind of part of why we broke up as I thought I watched Alex be without zero effort, be one of the best drummers in the hardcore scene like that. And then he didn't know how to play bass when I met Alex. Um, when I first went into his room, he had a drum kit. I knew he was a drummer from against the wall. And uh, he had a guitar, he had an SG leaning up against the wall. I was like, wait, hold on, do you play guitar? And he goes, no, not really. It's my brother's guitar. I go, but you can play it, right? He goes, yeah, I messed around. I know a bunch of minor threat songs. And I go, let me see you play. And he played. And I go, do you think you can play bass? He goes, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> so so we, we, put, we put him to good use of chain right, right quickly, you know. But um, 
he picked up bass really fucking fast too. And he went on to be this fucking Steve Hanskin level minor threat bass playing fucking machine. He can play Andy Rourke and Steve Hanskin like nothing. So I watched him do that on drums. I watched him do that on bass. And then as for statue, he's writing all these songs on guitar and I'm watching him get better and better and better and better on guitar. And all of a sudden he's one of the best guitar players in the fucking hardcore scene. And you know, it's, it's kind of torturing me. We have this guitar player, Brian Russo's, who was uh, just an entry-level guitar player. And then we got Scott Bartoloni, who's a fucking great hardcore guitar player. And he can play Discord guitar. Amazing. But when we recorded Phil to the Infection, Scott uh, heard the tape and he said, uh, wow, this is uh, a little different than I thought it was going to be. This sounds like it can be on MTV and K-Rock and shit. I said, yeah, we're kind of, <laughs> we're we're going to go all the way with this fucking band because these songs are so well written, you know, and uh, that that kind of started to be the end of Scott because he wasn't interested in being in an alternative rock band. Um, and that's why I thought uh, Alex should be the guitar player. But um, when it came time for him to do the same thing on on singing and on vocals, Alex is a good screamer. Alex did really good on Filter the Infection. Uh because he had help from Donald Cameron producing him, but uh, he was he was never able, like he was saying, to be comfortable as a singer and a, as a front man with all that attention on him. And he was never able to get like where Curtis was or Zach was, these dudes that we played with, in his vocals. And it was uncomfortable for him and it was uncomfortable for me, and that's part of why Statue ended up breaking up, to be honest. Mm -hmm. For anyone who does want to hear uh, something more recent, um, you can search for fraud on YouTube. Alex does some killer vocals on that leprous death. <laughs> okay. That's the most recent stuff. I remember right? I remembered hearing recent. about you're right. I remember hearing about fraud now it was probably like 10 years ago or something, right? Like that's another example of like I was the drummer and we we tried out every fucking dude to to do vocals. And we just could not fucking find a guy who like has that like flamethrower negative approach vocal. Mm -hmm. And, and, and we were just like, fuck, we have opportunities to play shows with scream and youth of today. And so we just get like whatever drummer we can get and we play these shows. And then I get thrown out, you know, not in my comfort zone as the singer. And then like, we play these shows and like, I'm just like, all right, okay, we're, I'll just do it. You know? But it's funny that, like, you know, I'm willing to take one for the team and sing on Filter the Infection or whatever, but, like, it's never really, like, my first choice. You know what I mean? Like, it was different when 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 Chris joined the band and Randy and I are, like, in, in, are, like in home ec class or PE and we're talking about, like, you know, these songs. And it's different when you're, like, in high school and you're playing to your classmates and, like, you know, Randy's getting laid because we're playing these <laughs> concerts or whatever, you know, it's different. It's different. But like, honestly, like, you know, you got to remember, like, you know, statue was that one band where it wasn't really about trying to be accepted um, by like, you know, the whole like genre of hardcore. Like we were kind of, oh, I, I was okay with just being kind of a secret in my little hick town. And um, and because we were in other bands, you know, it got kind of exposed a little bit more. And then, you know, when Ryan is like showing, you know, Purcell, 
hey, check out, check out, check out fucking what Chris and Alex did. And he's like, holy shit, like, this is dope. You know, I want to put this out. Like, it's like you kind of go along with it, but it's not like, like you intended, you didn't intend to be part of like, you know, like we weren't trying to be like everybody else in on Revelation. You know, this is like the band that like I could have gladly just been, you know, Randy and I, we played our high school reunion, our, our like our get together at 20, uh, 20th, um, was it the 20 year one, Randy? Yeah, it was, um, it was 2011 july yeah yeah so we did that and that was you know interesting but um <clears throat> i was okay with it just being like our high school band but it revelation put it out because purcell thought it was good and you know and that's why we're on this podcast is because you know those dudes thought it was it was worthwhile and but um but yeah i think i you know i feel bad that chris i think really was a part of you know, watching me develop as a musician. And I think he was excited about, you know, where things were going with me because, you know, he met me and I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. And then he got to like, be a, like kind of part of my, like, you know, evolution, I guess. And, um, and the statue was the band that like, he got to see, like, be a part of like, you know, us writing music together. And once we kind of got really like efficient at, creating something worthwhile i kind of just like we just kind i just kind of stopped like i was just like you know what i'm done with all of this you know i stopped playing music kind of retired at like the age of like 19 or whatever and um you know i was done with music in general and it, it took like you know walter calling me out of the blue like years later hey do you want to join my band i just broke a quicksand you know that's what kind of got me back into music but otherwise i was just like done with it you know these four songs are what I think is a great um, lasting impression to leave on the Revelation catalog, um, to have laid down and to be able to reflect on. And for me, it was a real, real hard thing to pick one favorite song, but I had to do it for our <laughs> Oh, is hot it Hot Tracks, tracks time? <clears throat> um, so, Randy, you're the only virgin uh, to our show, and, but apparently, apparently not in the world because of Statue. Um, <laughs> a boat we, a statue. we do this thing where we we talk about our favorite song on the record and if you're in the band could be your favorite song that you played mm-hmm. um but we call it hot tracks and i definitely don't want to go first so i'm going to call out chris and ask what your hot track is for filter the infection 12 inch uh that's tough. They're four of our children. And all four of those songs are equal on that record. And there's only four of them. <laughs> um, I'm going to say, uh, and only, only because I got a gun to my head. Uh, <laughs> reflecting seduction, maybe, because, uh, it has this whole other dimension of um, uh, a second singer on it, which is yeah. me. Oh, but, that's you. 
That's me. Yeah. Awesome. Fun fact. <laughs> Fun nice. fact. I'm I'm the drummer on Filter the Infection, the record. Fun fact. <laughs> Randy plays bass. Facts. Randy yeah. plays. <laughs> Rand, Mr. Randy Robles plays bass on that record. Fun fact. Um, but I think uh, I think actually, "Filter the Infection" is such a epic song, and that you know it, it has this fucking journey that you go on, starting with the Italian dialogue on it, and then it takes you into the small world, then this huge world, and then this tribal end of the world. You know. I think uh, Filthy Infection is one of the strongest songs Alex ever wrote. Um, so I might want to say that's my hot track. Chris, what are the bells on that track? More, more important, we'll get to the bells, but more importantly, we had a, a, someone write to me recently said, please, please talk about the typewriter on the record. Yes, that too. They want to know how we came up with typewriter as percussion. Uh-huh. Alex, was that me or was that you? I can't remember. Alex played the typewriter. That's him playing it. But was that bring, my idea or your idea? I can't did remember. Did you bring that in to the recording studio? Yeah, we brought studio. a fucking old school typewriter in uh-huh. to do that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Alex, do you remember? You know what? Alex. I just, you know, I do remember. Um, for some reason, you know, because we were into percussion, you know, two drummers yeah. in a band, you're, you're yeah. going to be, you're going to be kind of like a highly percussive band, right? Fully, yeah. And, and I think, um, you know, whether it was Chris uh, helping me uh, with the narration on fil- uh, reflecting seduction, um, you know, you got like a lot of rhythm um, components in, in that band because, you know, you got two drummers. And um, yeah, we had the, we had the best best of two drummers ideas going down all the time. You know, I just re- I just kind of remember like we were really into, um, you know, because we're, we're huge fans of like just like old fashioned technology in the fifties. Um, I think, it, you know, Chris had this old typewriter and um, we were really into um, hypnotic music and, and African rhythms. And I think because we were into like rhythm, um, you know, typewriting is, is a rhythm. And I think we just were like, you know, let's just bring it. And the bells, I mean, I'll let Chris, t- I remember those, 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 he had like these, like, like uh like tibetan kind of dishes were they yeah. kind of like yeah right yeah yeah they were they were made out of metal they're forged in, like tibetan <laughs> dishes and they're on yeah. my my mom's coffee table for 400 years and for yeah. some reason before we went to record i just grabbed those and, yeah uh, and there's there's three bells going down there's just a, a regular like uh uh, Piesty eight inch bell that's used a lot, and then <clears throat> there's those two Tibetan bowls. And I remember sitting on the ground and miking them up <laughs> on the ground, and I had them in this way that they would resonate, you know. And yeah, they're, they're they sure are fucking creepy on uh, on uh, uh, <clears throat> um, reflecting seduction in the in the small intro part where I'm talking through through the telephone, you know. Um, yeah you can hear you can hear those tibetan bells in there and it's it's fucking rad they're just like raising ghosts you know um you know and 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 my whole narration thing uh we totally got that from uh uh bad brains uh uh the song they did sacred love sacred Sacred love Love, yeah when uh when uh hr was in jail and they had Mm -hmm. to get that vocal they they had him get on a fucking payphone and record those vocals and we thought that Mm -hmm. story was 
so amazing. We we had to kind of do yeah. my little bit through a telephone. And I actually did it through the telephone. It was great. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I'd, I'd written that thing out and I'd never said it out loud, you know? And, yeah. And I went to do it. I had no idea how I was going to fit it into the song and stuff. And somehow, act of God, it just came out perfectly in place in one take. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. That was, that was you know, what's crazy is, um, you know, when, when, when Chris did that narration, um, I don't know if Randy, I don't know if Randy, were you there? Yeah, Randy was there. Yeah, I was there. I just think that just really brought it up like another level. Like that song was already like pretty rocking and all that. And obviously, you know, Bad Rain's influence song, obviously, you know, musically, riffs and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, of course, you know, Dr. Knows all over that song. We're, 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 we're okay with admitting we love the Bad Rain's, like, of course. But, um, yeah, yeah. When, when Chris did that narration, um, you know, it was the lyrics, uh, the call and response of what I had and what he brought um, really fit really, really, really well. And that was like, you know, what was cool is Donnell Cameron was totally on board and patient with all our sh- random ideas like that or or the bells or the typewriter. You know, it's hard to get like um, these engineers to, to kind of be willing to do your artsy fartsy ideas. <laughs> yeah, and, can you imagine um, if we pulled that with David Corey at Spot. Well, you know what? The guy <laughs> who um well well the guy who recorded well, we Dragon, um yeah. was pretty far from I think being a guy who would be willing to put up with that kind of acti- you know idea. Um you know you know what I'm saying? Like I think I think the fact that Donald Cameron was um you know sort of made us feel comfortable with get with getting weird with our shit. I think that was crucial to us. You know, we're talking about a record we did when we were in high school, maybe not you, Chris, but me and Randy, you know, do you think high school kids are going to be like, you know, we didn't even know we were doing weird shit. We were just doing what we thought was kind of interesting, but we didn't have an older guy to make us feel like we were doing something stupid. You know, we, he was like, yeah, do that. Like he was like, fuck yeah. And, um, I think I think I give I give his vibe to make us feel comfortable just like a lot of credit, you know. What was rad when you did that typewriter thing? We set it up on a stand really high so you could stand and like you were playing drums on a typewriter. And yeah. and he was fucking attacking it. I wish I had it. I wish it was in the cell phone age so I could have filmed it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That would be <clears throat> So, you know, one thing that kind of you, while you were talking, Chris, you reminded me of something really quick is, um, you know, we talk about being percussive, you know, we were, we had our, um, do you remember we're doing uh, the drive-by drum squad? Yeah. <laughs> you want to explain what that was or do you want me to? I. How about Randy yeah. explain what drive-by drum Randy squad was? Randy just went for a pee. Oh, no, okay. no, I'm back. I'm back. No, I'm okay. I'm back. Yeah. Randy, you explain what the drive-by drum squad was. Oh shit. <laughs> oh man, I forgot all about that. Um you guys are going to love this. So <laughs> trying to make it quick. Um I man, Chris, I don't know how we came up with this, but um uh so we just, you know, being in, in Moreno Valley, we got bored at night and uh, you know, being straight edge, um you know, just you don't have that much stuff to do to get yourself in trouble. 
So, um, <laughs> no, I, I think we, I think we got creative. So I remember, explanation, yeah. yeah, yeah. So we got creative. Um, so whose minivan was it? Chris, right? No, okay. what, what, one mine. Whose was it then? You guys knew someone that had a minivan, it, but anyways, anyway, it, it, it doesn't matter. Big, so big sliding door. So for some stupid reason, we loaded up some of Chris's drums. I think it was a couple snares. I, I mean, I don't think it was anything else. It was just snares. And we would randomly pick people's houses to, um, to go to, to, um, I don't want to use the word terrorize, but, um, I don't know another word. So, I mean, it was all a good fun. It was playful. So what yeah. we would do is we would, uh, it was, silently, it was, all, pe- it was all people we knew. Yeah. yeah. It was friends. It was friends. So yeah. it was, we would go in the middle of the night and go to their house and set up these snares, um, right in front of their house. And then we would like hit them, you know, like they were like gunshots and, um, and then we would yell and scream and then we would just like throw everything in the van and just like speed off. <laughs> and, uh, it was, it was drive by drum squad. <laughs> and, uh, I remember doing that to like Cindy Simons and Arlette, I think. And, um, and I think we even did veto one time and, uh, man, it was just, <laughs> and we would, we would be taking off out of the neighborhood and because we were driving this minivan, uh, like we would literally would see the cops coming and they, they wouldn't pay any attention <laughs> to us. Uh, so yeah, that was a good time. I love doing that. Randy, while, while we're on you, what's your hot track for, uh, filter the infection? Um, I think if I was, you know what, if I was just going to pick one, uh, I, I think it would have to be Bible. So the thing is, you know, I didn't write a lot for the, um, for the filter infection, you know, Alex mentioned, I wrote a couple of the, uh, the, the, the lyrics for, um, the something to say release, but for filter the infection, I just, I, I contributed a couple, um, you know, uh, lines. but for the most part, you know, that's Alex writing all that stuff. I mean, he's, he's the, the magic, uh, behind those songs. And so the fact that he wrote such really good lines for that, that's, you know, that was probably the most fun to play. And I think it has a lot of energy and it just, it just sounds, it has a uniqueness that I don't think is, it's like, it doesn't really sound like anything like, yeah, maybe it sounds like a little bit of Jane's addiction, but you know, it also just sounds like statue, which that's for me, that was really, that's what I wanted. I didn't want to sound like somebody else. So, um, Bible, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was just going to say it just had like a, it had like a groove, but it wasn't like too groovy and too funky. And, um, you know, I'm not a funky guy. I'm not, I'm when it comes to me playing bass, like the sound I go for is like disintegration, you know, the cure disintegration, that bass sound, like that jangly Mm -hmm. sound. That's what I always tried for. And I, you know, I kind of got it. It it wasn't quite as jangly as, you know, uh, fascination street, but I, I was trying so hard to get that sound. And, um, like I said, you know, with Alex writing, you know, those tasty riffs and, you know, just that song in general, um, that was the most fun to play. And, you know, it's got the cool, it's got, it's got a few different dimensions to it. So that song to me, I think that's my pick. Yeah. It definitely has a little bit more of a melancholy feel than all of the other statue songs. It's a good record closer. Yeah, um, yes. it is. That's Stat- what I was going to say. Statue is uh, goth as fuck, just by the way. Yeah. <laughs> definitely. Jason, I see it. Jason Yo. what's your hot track? Kick it. Fueling. Fueling. Song rules. Bass intro is awesome. Kind of have the chain of strength beginning a little bit. But then I think that song takes you on a journey. And then it gets you to the middle part with the guitar picking. And then that, and then Alex's vocals, I think are killer on that song. The 
small fire and my desire to burn out evil. I've always loved that part. Yeah. And I grew up, I grew up near DC in Northern Virginia and I was so into straight edge hardcore and youth crew hardcore, but I've got to let you know that this is the record that I picked up living in the area where I didn't even appreciate all of the bands that were around me at the time. And then this release is what got me into those bands to appreciate them more. Mm. So I don't know. That song just has wow. a cool feel to well, it. Fueling is the song that opened up the whole world to Alex. That's, that's what got Ryan interested. That's what got me interested. Um, that was his first hit song he wrote. <clears throat> that's uh, also my hot track, Jason. Um, nice. I, the lyrics of that song to me encapsulate a lot of nineties hardcore, you know, like, there's a lot of lyrics I've talked about this before about like the fire and like, you know, trying to capture something, but like, it's a little bit ambiguous. It's like, you know, that there's something, but like, it's just something and you, and you can't really, it's a je ne sais quoi, you know, you can't really (laughs) explain it. And I think because I usually um, devour this record on vinyl and it's such a good end to side a like it just stops hard mm-hmm. stop and then okay it's fucking you can either listen to this side again which i did like three times today or you can flip <laughs> it over and then get into like the kind of weirdness and often spaciness of side b so fueling also my hot track greg are we gonna make it a turkey i was i was gonna um i was actually gonna say that like the two sides of the record are different. Like they're different. Like they yes. have a different feel. Yes. Um, we are going to make it a turkey. Yeah! It, is, it, is, <laughs> it is fueling. I guess what's funny is like for me, like opposite of what Jason was saying, like all the DC stuff that was, you know, which is it's documented. I talk about it all the time, but that was what I got into first. So this sounded like, like an old friend when I heard it, like, this mm. was like, Oh, this is the kind of stuff like, you know, but even at this point I was what 16 when I heard this or 17, but I had been listening to DC stuff for four or five years. Um, but something about fueling, one of the things I like, and it's funny that Randy mentioned the cure is the use of profanity in this song reminds me of the cure the first song on their kiss me kiss me kiss me album robert smith drops an (laughs) f-bomb and he like doesn't do it much and it's so like effective and it just like hits you and that happens in this song too and it's it's rare especially with hardcore because you know people drop f-bombs all the time sure in songs but the way it's just this like one like it it just uh, accentuates so much the feeling and the vocal and the music and the intensity. And uh, I just think this is like a perfect song. Well, you know, since you guys mentioned uh, fueling, um, it's weird because I I have a a unique perspective, you know, being in the band, you know, and recorded, you know, um, with the band for all the songs for the studio. um, when you know when we did our you know i said we you know we only did two takes it was it was like straight through back-to-back takes but you know of course you know alex had to you know do vocals separately you know he wasn't singing at the same time but when i heard everything after we did those initial two takes that's when i I remember being like oh shit 
because I had never heard Alex sing that way. And then he added um, the second guitar track. You know, obviously, you know, you're not going to play the second guitar track the first time. Um, I hadn't heard that because when we were playing live, none of that was going on. So the first time I ever heard it was in the studio. And I was like, oh, man, I, I was like, this is next level shit. And I remember just being really blown away and being so stoked um, because it was such an evolution compared to um, the Pendragon release. And, um, but, you know, being in the band, it's kind of like, I don't know, it, it, it's not something you really like say, but I was like so impressed with what Alex was able to pull off. Mr. Alpain, what's your, what's your baby on this record? Well, thanks, thanks to all of you guys for, for saying such nice things about all those, you know, all those songs. Um, you know what? Um, <clears throat> of course, you know, I love all those songs because they're all like, like Chris said, they're all like our, you know, children. And, and we, um, you know, I took a lot of pride in, in and I definitely, um, you know, I'm proud of, of, what I, you know, I put a lot of time into really making sure that those songs were above, um, you know, that were making sure they were, they had like a, a unique quality to them. And, or, or I did my best to, at that time to make what I thought was, um, something, you know, worthwhile, I guess you could say. Um, but, um, you know, when I, hearing all you guys just sort of talk, you know, it, you know, aside from like just the actual music and the, the songs and the, the recordings and kind of the evolution, you know, it's the, the vibe of the band is, was always kind of like a little discord, a dash of goth, you know, throwing some Jane's Addiction, some Smiths, some Cure. Um, you know, we, we were definitely okay with um exploring outside uniform choice at this point you know by the time we recorded this uh you know chris and i huge fans of all new wave all cool music and randy you know got into the cult and of course <laughs> you know we 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 are huge like like the beatles are like, huh? Who are the Beatles? Like, we love the Smiths. Like, you know, that's our Beatles, you know? Mm. Um, and, and Jane's Addiction, like, that was, it was really cool to see Chris, you know, who was very picky about music. You know, to me, Jane's Addiction was like my Led Zeppelin, you know? And um, I think both of these guys, I've heard you guys talk about Jane's Addiction to other bands. Yeah. Jane's Addiction was like my favorite band in high school, mm. you know? Yeah, of course the Smiths too. Like they're like my all-time favorite. But um, but I remember when Chris and I, um, you know, the the Discord stuff is just like that's just like a given. You know, like of course the faith, of course um, embrace. Like no shit, Scream was like our fa one of our favorite bands. But um, I think um, Filter the Infection was like the first song that I just kind of felt like like this is this is definitely like like this is this is when i when i wrote that song like i i wrote the whole thing like from front to back like the bass line um you know the the way it starts on the bass and the way it creeps in and just starts out with the you know kind of like you know on the fugazi vibe and then and then it just kind of builds and and it takes you on this journey i think like filter infection 
was like the closest I was going to get to like ritual de la habitual Jane's addiction, you know, just kind of like, like that exotic, you know, we were a hardcore band and we were never trying to be an alternative band, but like, like if we were going to like be an alternative band for a day, I think we would have been, you know, if we were going to like be a transgender band, we were going to be like Jane's addiction and Fugazi. Um, and maybe like, like all the discord bands rolled into one. And to me, like, I think filter the infection has enough to, to represent like that trans that day is like being like pansexual being, you know, just like one being, I feel like that song, um, it has the rhythm and the groove to just, and, you know, and just like the, the enough romance. I think a lot of the, the music was romantic and, um, you know, kind of desperate and sad, but also like, you know, like fueling being like, there's something in me that keeps me going despite my depression, you know, uh, Bible. It's like, you know what, the thing about, you know, being kind of, we're talking about the system and being against the system, you know, all those songs, I think being a young adult and becoming, you know, um, my, those are my formative years, but like, I knew like around the corner, I, I have to become an adult and be, you know, be a part of society and, 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 and acclimate to society. And, you know, that was like my last sort of like, like, uh, what do you call that? When you're just like, uh, you know, all those songs, those lyrics were just kind of like, yeah, I'm going to become an adult pretty soon, but this is like, this is my last sort of like statement before I become an adult, you know? And, you know, I talk about Bible writing my own Bible or not being down with the system. It's like, I'm going to have to submit to the system, but before I do, I want to write these songs. And, and I think filter, you know, definitely uh, embraces, you know, that transition to becoming an adult and mm -hmm. uh, filter the infection is about, you know, you know, fuck, being you know trying to be kim kardashian fuck trying to be a fucking asshole you know like like i'm still going to be a punker for the rest of my life despite like becoming a part of society you know and that's like filter to the infection is like i'm going to be a punker till i die but i'm gonna you know i'm gonna i'm gonna stay grounded somehow i will you know uh be fueled by who i am now until the rest of my life i will be you know, I'll write my own Bible. I will be, I'll be fueled by who I am now, despite me sort of like having to become a part of society. I will, you know, I will be seduced by the system sometimes, but then I, I will find myself and, and then, you know, I will, you know, reflect on that and I will be, you know, like re reborn and just, I'll keep doing that till I die. I'll just be like these four songs over and over, you know? So I think filter the infection is, is like the one song that uh, I tumble through. And I know like in life that that's kind of, you know, that's what we do. We just kind of keep, we, we get worn out. We, we keep fighting and we just keep going. And that's, you know, that's, that's that song for me. Awesome. Yeah. Alex, um, last question. Sorry, Greg, to cut you off there, but I really want to know, <laughs> where the Italian sample came from. It's not a oh, sample. Oh, shit. <laughs> it's not a sample. <laughs> no. It's real. Yeah, That's yeah, real. Live Italians do that. We, we um, Chris, Chris, um, 
grew up with uh, a lot of keep, Italians. Do we want to keep this a mystery? Well, you know, it's not a mystery. It is, you know what? I'll, I'll, okay, I'll tell you. I'll say this. Okay, I'll keep it. Just I'll say this. Yeah. Chris was fortunate to have a tape recorder and spend the night at his friend's house. That that he was, you know, had Italian parents that um, there was a lot of uh, abuse in the household. And I'll leave it at that. If if uh, if you know anyone who speaks Italian. There's some very heavy shit going on in what they're saying. I know a little, and, it, and it's worth translating. Okay, we'll get a, we'll try and get a translation on, and I'll have someone t- uh, get on a payphone and call in and leave it on the where it went hotline. <laughs> there you go. In <laughs> English, sacred love style. We'll play it. Yeah, exactly. Um, Last question I had was on this statue. The oh actual my God. statue. Oh my God! And the statue lyric sheet. So, so, uh, so, hey, Chris, can I? Let me. um, Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure Chris has a lot to say about that, but, and I I don't know if I'm not going to try to take credit for this, but the the picture in that, the guy standing in front of the, the tube or whatever. Okay. I don't know, Chris. Can I? Yeah, I, it's not a problem for me to explain this, right, Chris? Like, we're not going to have anybody like knocking on the door. Oh, hey, by the way. (laughs) <laughs> right um i'm not sure go ahead though well so I, i'll just be vague like that's something that chris had in his room and i remember i was always like dude what's up with this we need this fucking thing i we got to use this somehow and i was always harping on him and uh, i was so happy like i said i didn't you know i hadn't seen the release until years later i was really happy to see that inside there and then i know some of the shirts were made with that thing and there there's a quote i'm not going to say anything about the quote. I still remember the quote, Chris. Yeah. Um, we obviously didn't use it, but it was just so powerful. Every time I went in his room, I was like, man, this guy's just staring at me in the face. And I always loved that picture. What was the quote? No, I, and I don't want to say the quote. Oh, I'm okay. not going to say it either. The quote, the quote is, you know, the quote is very uh, related to uh, sort of like the, um, the spirit of the band, you know, when we talk about like, um, you know, having um you know kind of just being being uh i guess you could say um you know almost in a way like uh when you're having this like uh when you're being stifled in in, in your in your you know your existence and uh and you're kind of pushing through and uh, the quote was 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 pretty strong and um you know the name of the band was was kind of related to this quote and i think uh you know, Randy, you you obviously remember the quote. And yeah, I, I do. I was, I, 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 you know, what's funny is, is, is I was thinking about the quote uh, last couple of days leading up to this uh, podcast because, um, you know, you know, like Randy and I, we still we, we're still you know buddies and we still talk. Mm-hmm. So so um, we've been talking about other things and you know we 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 love music. So we were talking about music and I was thinking about like, you know, I think when the, when the band was called something to say, and when, when it became um, statue, I remember um, when we played our first show as statue, we had um, somebody in our world, um, you know, kind of giving me the the business. If you like, you're, you're calling your band statue now, like, why are you calling it statue? I remember like kind of clowning it like, Oh, like, like, what does it like mean? Like fucking like your plaster or something. And I was just like, uh, like little do you know, 
like in my mind, there's this quote and I was like, little do you know, like there's so much more to the name, um, you know, statue, like there was a lot more to it, a lot more, um, why it was called statue now. But, um, but yeah, um, that, that quote is, is really good. And, uh, let me apologize to everybody. Who's like, what the hell are you guys? Yeah. Kick that quote. Let us know what it is. We'll bleep it out. No, (laughs) Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, I could say it. I don't know. I, I, I just, I don't know. We shouldn't say it because, because it's one of those things where it's like, it's like the saying kind of, you know, it's the saying of this quote that made me want to name the band statue. Yeah. You know. Let me just apologize to everybody. I'm sorry we brought it up. It's just it, it's <laughs> something that obviously had an impact on things uh, and, you know, the formation of, you know, the visual aspect of the band as well yeah. as, you know, the, the more philosophical side of it. Could you sum it up in a different <laughs> in different wording? Yeah, I could. Um, I could tell you it, it basically is saying that, um, you know, just because you're out, well, Go ahead, Randy. I, well, I was just going to say, yeah. just because, you know, you know, somebody may be out there, you know, yelling um, what it is that they want you to hear. Um, you know, the other people that may not be saying anything, you can't discount them. Yeah. You know, I it's kind of it's kind of like 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 the people you're under, underestimating now are the fucking people that are going to be running your shit tomorrow, basically. Yep. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. The ba- the people that you're overlooking that you're underestimating as nothing are the people that are going to pretty much run your shit tomorrow is basically what that saying was saying. And I think, you know, this is a post, this is like some random poster that Chris had on his wall that had a statue that had this saying. And that's the thing that made me kind of got my wheels turning to name the band. And that's what kind of was the whole thing. It's like, you know what? You might be underestimating me now, but tomorrow I will be your boss tomorrow. You know what I mean? Like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, you, I may be your peon today, but I will be your monster tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yep. A statue, a statue is permanent. It sees everything and it sees everybody's rise and their fall. And it's there after the fall. Well said. I like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> well, guys, this was more information about this record than I could have ever hoped for. Um, like I said, this is in my top five and I'm going <laughs> to assume in a lot of people's top five for Rev, to be honest. Um, we've been looking forward to this interview for a long time and I'm not disappointed at all. I'm super stoked. We, we did still leave. We still left a little bit of mystery for yes, a little bit of mystery. So I know uh, you know what uh, you know what Purcell's good quote was when Ryan Hoffman played him the tape. What he goes, uh, he played him the tape right, and and Purcell turns to Ryan and goes, "Guy, this needs a star." Nice, <laughs> <laughs> and it got and one. that and Purcell proceeded to talk Ryan out of putting it out on Foundation and putting it out on Rev. Nice, guy, this needs a Rev star. Damn. <laughs> He, well, I'm worried that I'm worried that you guys, you know what? I feel like this is, um, I've listened to enough of your podcast. Um, since you guys started doing the podcast, I feel like I'm nervous that like, this is the, the, I feel like you guys barely talked on this one. So I'm like, fuck, maybe, you know, we, 
we just almost talked too much. No, and not at all. This was ask more questions. This was everything I could have asked yeah, for. But you know, you having played on the record know so much more about this stuff than the questions that we could ask. You know what I mean? We wouldn't yeah. have brought up the specifics of, I mean, I know this sounds um, stupid, but if you had not told me, Hey, the core of the band is Randy, Chris, and me, I would not have known that just based on the people listed, you know? Yeah. Or yeah. otherwise. And I thought that was awesome to know. So. Our whole, our whole point is to, to document, you know, each release and when we can get the actual people that played on it, which we're on a big streak, we've somehow been able to do ever since. Yeah. Like, yo, roll that roulette wheel. Roll that, but, roll that roulette wheel on the side B on of the, the record. Yeah, yeah. like, like, <laughs> yeah, right. like we let the artists tell their stories. We're just yeah, here to kind of facilitate and, you know, occasionally if, throw in. Uh, mm, if this would have been the three of us idiots talking about this record for an hour, it, mm. it would have just been like, yeah, I like this record. I like this record too. I love this record. Like that would have just been it. But instead we got that to the heart of it. And well, well keep it, keep in mind, I'm super interested to hear what you guys have to say about the record though. Well, yeah. Yes. I mean, you know, I think that's, now, I think I, that's why I'm I, here to, I'm here to hear what you guys got to say. Well, 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 you know, you'll hear that on the episode because after the <laughs> interview, we always give, we talk to each other candidly. Yeah. Um, and we give our like a, our exposure to the record. We give yeah. some thoughts to the record, and kind of that's when we'll you know have our this, little powwow. And about then this actually won't be the next one because I know Javi you mentioned the swing, but Underdog will actually be next. It's Rev Twenty Eight. Mm -hmm. the, the the thing that was interesting is because it came out so much later. I almost feel like because we recorded it a couple years before because you guys are doing shit in like chronological order, mm -hmm. yeah. I almost feel like by the time you're doing ours, it's almost kind of almost a weird thing that you're doing ours in between like, a, a, you know, Iceburn and, and Underdog because um, in a way, like we were existing way before like a lot of other things. So yeah. like, I, I almost kind of feel like it's a false, uh, like reenactment of uh, like history, you know, <laughs> yeah, revisionism. We, yeah, we we kind of we kind of got to stress that we recorded it in ninety one, and yeah. had it come out in ninety one, we would have been kind of uh, going head to head with like the quicksand seven inch. Yeah, yeah. you know what I mean. Which, yeah. No, that, definitely. That's, yeah. that, that's the class we actually belong with. Mm. Yeah, which yeah. which we like. You know, we like we like that class, and and nothing against the other class of Iceburn and whatever else, but um, you know um. When we talk it's just about a different like, era, yeah, yeah. Well, when we talk about like you know, our, like our buddies, like Tom Capone or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, it's like we just have a, like you know our unique timeline of when we were in our other bands, and then when this band happened, like you know, we were we were kind of in the same timeline as other bands, getting a little bit more rock and roll and hardcore, you know, and um, I think by the time it came out, like you know. It's what's cool about about statues. In a way, it might have been a blessing in disguise that it came out a little bit later because I feel like it was ahead of its time, and yes. um, and so a lot of the kids that well, not kids, but like uh, like Chris is older than than me and Randy. You know, he's 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 our elder, and um, but when I've met guys on tour that are younger than me, like by f like five ten years. 
they're like, you know, like their first, they, they were like, oh yeah, Chain of Strength, I kind of know what that is, but they're like, oh, my first band that you were in that I got into were like, you know, were like, it was like Statue, and they're like, and like those are, these, I'm talking like guys that were like, you know, glass jaw guys, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. kind of younger, younger generation guys. When I moved to New York in late, uh, mid nineties, late nineties, um, you know, I was around those guys and they were younger and, um, and they, like, you know, their first conversation with him was like, Oh my God, like I love statue. And, you know, and then they start sense. these bands. Yeah, yeah. And then they start these bands and then they're, you know, it's glass jar or whatever their band is. But like, uh, it's interesting to kind of like, if it would have came out a little bit too early, maybe they would have missed it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Cause, and that's one I of the think, things we, we like about doing the podcast is like, we get the facts out there. So mm-hmm. I didn't know until today that this wasn't record. I thought this was, I didn't know that either. Came out in 1993. And I'm sure a lot yeah. of other people thought that too. So. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, um, um, statue actually kind of, could have came out even a little later. I think we fit in really good with uh, uh, 97, like um, Refused and At The Drive-In. Mm-hmm. I think we kind of uh, work well with those bands. Alex actually jammed with the Refused guitar player for a while. Oh, nice. And, uh, and he told Alex while he was jamming with them that they were very influenced by Statue. Oh, nice. I see that too. Wow. Yeah. I can see that for sure. Yeah. Well, and guys, think- thank Oh, sorry. I was going to say thank you. It's it's almost midnight here, so I'm like, (laughs) I'm running on fumes. I worked at... Yeah, two hours later, and Greg is still laughing at Jason about the GIF, the GIF, yes. the GIF. <laughs> I feel like just like I, I feel like nah. This this is a this is a performance piece he's doing, but it's it's real. <laughs> Jason, it was, got, was Jason. Yes, the the now now I can come clean and say it was a joke, and Jason. I knew it was Grizzly Adams. Jason, yes. <laughs> when did you discover statue? Um, I think I need to clarify what I was talking about with statue. Yeah, let's hear it. Because I was okay, so I moved to the DC area. I would go to Smash in DC and I would buy tapes based on the Revelation Records star. Okay. So that took me on a journey. Sometimes good, sometimes I wasn't ready for that journey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the statue filter the infection tape when I picked it up. I had no idea that this is Alex from Chain of Strength. I didn't, I didn't understand the significance. When I picked up the statue record, I did not understand the significance of who played on the record. Same. It was, it was so, like I keep fucking saying, it was so mysterious to me. Yes. And I'm sure at some point someone was like, oh, this is guys from Chain of Strength. I still didn't put it together because it, there's, there's, there's no, it's night and day. It's yeah. like when you hear minor threats 
and then Embrace and then Fugazi, there's still like, you can tr- yes. kind of track the progression, especially from Embrace to Fugazi. But from Chain of Strength to Filter the Infection, it, there's almost like no common threads. Yes. Sonically, song-wise, vocals, lyrically. Packaging-wise. Yeah. It's, there's, it, there's, no, there's no commonality there, in my opinion. Yes. But when I, I still love the songs. And I remember the first time I listened to it, and I don't know if this has ever happened to you both, but have you ever listened to a song and thought, this is so perfect, I hope they don't fuck this song up? Like the song's so good, you hope they don't fuck it up by throwing like a yell that doesn't belong in there. Or, or like, like just like, extending it too long into yeah. like some kind of dirge. Yeah, yeah. you know, the, um, I'm a huge Bloodlet fan. And when Three Humid Nights in the Cypress Trees came out, and then he like does this weird vocal and I was like, okay, I just like, I, they immediately lost me as That's a fan from then That's on. what I'm talking just about. Just was like, yep, this is, this is not, this ain't it. This ain't it yeah. for me. Yeah. So I was hoping that didn't happen with this record. It didn't happen. This record is fucking awesome. And then I realized, oh, I'm living near DC. DC is the influence of this sound. Okay. So as someone who doesn't really generally enjoy DC hardcore, okay, that being me, yeah, what what bands specifically or what releases do you think that it sounds like, or can you compare it to, or do you think it pulls from? Swizz. I think the guitars sound like Jason, which they thank Jason Farrell and Dave okay. Eight from Swizz in it, and to me the guitars kind of have that. I don't know if it's the tone or or if it's something, but. I hear that Jason Farrell um, influence of like the, of Swizz. Um, I hear Fugazi, which you like yeah. Fugazi, mm-hmm. um, but I do hear Fugazi. Like to me, I, I always thought it sounded like Fugazi meets Jane's Addiction. Mm. That's you know, a good comparison. It, when you're talking about guitars for this record, there's not a lot of power chords, right? You hear a lot of yeah. picking. Like, especially in the the title track, there's that like finger picking. Like it's yeah, it's it's not just like it's like not as like driving. And so I think that adds to the melody. Like, you know, the there's a lot of melodic uh quality of this record and also makes it more dynamic. Yeah. Yeah, And I think also I was listening to, they were not influenced by them, but I was listening to Severin at the time a lot. And I've, Greg is familiar with Severin. I've legitimately never heard of Severin. That's okay. Not, I mean, it's They're not, pretty obscure, even yeah. for, I'm in Richmond and I still think if I <laughs> like brought it, it up, most people would I, I even I didn't even hear them until within this calendar year. Mm, okay. Um, okay. I don't like, feel so, so bad then. No, it's not like saying you've never heard the misfits or something, but there um, was like, but they're cool. Like, yeah. I mean, I don't know if you would dig it, but it's, uh, I'll give it a shot. Yeah. It's got like, a like I said, Mark Haggerty on guitar, who's a great guitar player. And he was in, I mean, I know you, you don't have to shake your head. I know. No, you don't. I don't know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> You're saying, Oh, Mark Haggerty. That's like Jason dropping like, Oh, you know, like Jeff texted me this thing. And I'm like, what? Who? Okay. Guilty. Guilty. <laughs> <Fair enough. Yes. laughs> 
Oh, uh, Ned Stark from Game of Thrones. Ned. <laughs> um, anyway, um, Mark Haggerty was in Grey Matter and Three, and um, also the drummer of Swizz is in it. But it's like melodic. Um, it's really good. Like, yeah, and it's actually really good. I do have their split with Grey Matter. They have a split seven inch, um, and all their vinyl is. They had a seven inch on Sub Pop. Okay. Um, and all their vinyl is pretty like they had an LP and a couple singles. And uh, one of our friends and patrons, Brett Beach, hardware fanzine. Oh, yeah. nice! Huge Severn fan. Yeah, nice. that's awesome. He, he had posted about them, and I was like, I need to get, I, I got to get their records. And he was like, Yeah, you do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're cool. But I, I hear it, Jason. Like I, it's hear not. This. I wouldn't say it's influenced by it. But it's just kind of, you know... It's cut from the same cloth. It's yeah, there like, you go, cut from the same cloth. It's like how when all those, you know, when all those bands in the 90s that were kind of going for the Sunday Day real estate vibe, like, had that similar feel. But, like, you know, Texas is the reason weren't influenced by Mineral. They just, yeah. they, were, they were all pulling from the same bands. And I think maybe Statue and Severn were kind of, kind of pulling from the same pot of influences. Yeah. And then there was also Holy Rollers, Circus Lupus. These are all bands that were jaw box yeah. that I was seeing. And, I, you know, I don't know. It was just something, it was just kind of a moment where I thought it just, uh, it made me realize that music is more than just the area that you're, you know, being exposed to well, bands in. It's funny too, because now I'm more open to, there's that like kind of like lost period of discord of some of those bands like Severn and Holy Rollers. Yeah. And Jawbox were big, obviously. I knew, yeah. knew and loved Jawbox, but going back and discovering some of those bands, uh, the like early 90s Discord bands has been pretty cool. I've, you know, really found myself enjoying um, a lot of the ones I missed. And it's funny because it sort of touches on what Richie talked about in the Underdog interview about the regionality of music. Yeah. And how back then there was like, you know, Orange County had a sound and DC had a sound and Boston and New York. And um, th that's just kind of cool to see the genesis of that and how the DC sound changed and New York sound changed and Orange County, you know, all these different places um, changed with the times. But I do have to say, I did not know until we did the interview that there was a typewriter. In one of the oh, songs. I, I mean, I knew it was a typewriter. Okay. Because I, I actually, uh, I've done, in the 90s, I did a couple of zines, and I only used a typewriter. And so, and I still have the typewriter. It's in a suitcase, and you open up the suitcase, and there's a typewriter inside. And so, I'm actually pretty proficient at typing, and I, and I spent a lot of time doing that. I can, like, measure it out and all that stuff. So, I knew what a, a typewriter sounded like. Um, okay. but it was, it was cool that they fucking brought a typewriter into the, the studio and yeah. did that. And then, I mean, all the like little effects that we talked about, like the bells and the Italian, the Italian. Yeah. and, um, yeah, you know, what interview was it that we did where they were talking about how Bratton's drumming was like tribal? Was that in Chain or in, in Inside Out? I remember somebody saying that they liked Chris Bratton's drumming because it had like a tribal quality to it. I thought they mentioned it. it 
I thought they mentioned it in this interview. Well, that's this record specifically has that tribal drumming quality, especially like, uh, and, and, you know, it made sense with Alex saying that they were into like world music and different rhythms and stuff like that. Think of the beginning of the song Bible on this record, how it's like just kind of like floor tom and bass. And then it like picks up a little bit and then it kind of has this like, you know, you could almost like shake your shoulders and shake. Yes, your, I'm with you. And like do like a little bit of a boogie. And then that guitar lead that comes in with the two guitars that are harmonized. And it almost has like a Middle Eastern like mode to it. It, it sounds like a solo, but it's like a little bit Middle Eastern. And then the two notes start to harmonize with each other. And then it like kicks in to the song. Like that is so well-crafted. And also when I consumed this in 93, I had not, n- nothing else that I was listening to sounded like that. There was definitely nothing else like that coming out of the hardcore scene that I was exposed to, right? Yeah. Like I'm, I'm yeah. in, imagine me in Orange County and every week I'm seeing Black Spot, Function, Outspoken, Strife, uh, you know, st- like, and then Undertow, Spark Marker, I'm being exposed to these bands, but nobody is fucking doing what is on this record. Yeah. And, and so when I heard it, it was captivating because I, n- nothing else was like that. Same thing the first time I heard Ignorus, and I might not have been like immediately in love with Ignorus the first time I heard it, but I at least was interested, like, where is this going? Like, what is, mm-hmm. what is happening here? This is so weird and different. But, man, Jane's Addiction, Ritual de lo Habitual, and uh, Nothing's Shocking, the drums and the bass together on those two records with, again, the use of not necessarily like a lot of power chords, I can see the similarities of, uh, you know, where, where these bands, and it's so crazy. My whole, like, uh, ever since I've been like cognizant of, of consuming music, I've been a fan of Jane's Addiction and I've been a fan of punk. And yeah. it wasn't until we started doing this podcast that I was able to put those two things together. They co- they've they come up several times, Jane's yes, Addiction. Especially yeah. in, the, in the college years. Yeah, Quicksand, yeah. right? Uh, You're correct. Come up on Super Touch. Um, and, you know, one of my biggest surprises about this record that we uncovered in the interview, at least for me, was finding out that this was recorded in 1991 and not yeah. 1993 because by, by 19- and written by a fucking teenager. Right. Jesus Christ. Cause in 1993, I mean, you got to think like in context, 1993, Jane's addiction was already done. Yes. You know, Perry Farrell was doing a porn over pyros. Porn over pyros. Porn over pyros. Saw them. Um, 93 was like, you know, Nirvana had already broken big at that yep. point. Yep. Uh, Smashing Pumpkins, all this stuff. And then this was sort of ahead of that. 
and and you know, ninety one was Jane's Addiction. We're on Lollapalooza, the first Lollapalooza. Um, you know, Fugazi was still doing like Repeater and Steady Diet of Nothing. Yeah. So it makes even more sense knowing that it was actually recorded two years prior. But it's just a shame that they never really got to play shows. Well, that and once it came out, can you imagine an eight to 10 song record that sounds just like filter the infection? Can you imagine that? That would, it, it would be unreal. Cause it, first of all, an eight to 10 song record would be an hour long, right? Yeah. Which is pretty long for a full length. And this is such a journey. Um, and there's so many like, parts to it that if they would have been able to put other songs in there there could have been an instrumental there could have been mellower songs there could have been heavier songs they could have had like a more rocking song you know what i mean who knows what what could have happened if this could have produced a full-length record that was my question for you both was do you would you want a full like would you want filter the infection to be a full length uh no yes. I would I would want something else yes. after this that was a that's, where I'm, that's I think where I'm at and maybe because I'm so used to consuming this as a four song record you know two songs on each side of a record I I I'm just I'm I'm satisfied with what we have in terms of this but if they were to have done a follow up that sounded just like this, I think that it would be unreal. Fair enough. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I thought you like, I mean, as far as wanting more songs, yes. yes. Yeah. This being a four song 12 inch, I like it that way. And uh, yeah, yeah, I would have, I would have, I would have liked to see, I would have liked for them to record in 1993 yeah. and hear what, what they would have come up with um, and have that be a full length um, and see, you know, I feel like they could have gotten pretty big, honestly. That was my yeah. thing. But in that context, of, I mean, to me, in the context of the times when, you know, 1993, when like fucking everybody was signed to a major label, you know, Melvin's, Tad, uh, you know, every alter, like, I think they could have, they could have been one of those major label signings. But I think the problem is that the success that they have is in, that it's a mysterious record that's going to resonate for a long, long time. Whereas a lot of those major label releases, there's sometimes just a flash in the pan and then it's over with within three years. And also Alex got the chance to write those fucking awesome world's fastest car songs. Yeah. With the, oh, that's a whole other story where I really wish that world's fastest car. Oh my God. Yeah. Had, had been released um, officially. Same. And uh, I think... It, yeah, yeah no, because that's the thing. Here's the thing. Yeah, they could have signed a major label, but you're right. Like, would they have been Green Day? Probably not. And then no. maybe, yeah, maybe they would have just been like a cutout. But they could have uh, been like... But they could have been like Slip, like yes. Javier's holding up Slip. They could have been like a modestly selling group that got to put out a couple records, but... And was on MTV, like had, you know, videos. And then Quicksand, of course producing the far superior follow-up manic compression debatable 
I can't wait till that happens. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying that I think success is a relative term. You know, if right. you get, I, I just, I don't know. I can appreciate that we were left with these four songs and I love these four songs. It would have been cool to have more, but I'm in no way disappointed that, like, I'm, I'm just glad that we have this. Um, I just wish Alex would have sung another, like, I liked, I like his voice on this record. I think it yeah, really, I think it's awesome. Um, it really captures, like, it's super emotional and like, he like has a cool range of like singing and screaming and uh, I would have loved to hear to hear him do more with it, with it. Yeah. And, um, but I guess that's the plight of someone that's just fucking good at every instrument. It's that's like, true oh, too. You're gonna join a band on bass, or you're gonna play drums, or you're <laughs> gonna play guitar. Like singing might not be, you know, the the thing that you're gonna be the go to for. Yeah. But I love the way that he explained the lyrics to the songs though. And having these four songs just kind of exist the way that they do. And the, and I like yeah. that he gave the meaning to the songs. And the I love lyrics. I thought that was awesome. It was neat to find out that we talked to the actual core of the band. The, Cause the trio. I didn't know yeah. Who yeah. Any of the other people were, and I remembered even being like, wait, Chris Bratton was in statue. Like, right. I didn't, no. Yeah, if you if you look at the the photographs on the record, I didn't even growing up, I didn't think that that was Alex on the cover. I thought that this was like a found photo of say like a jazz musician or like maybe even like a ska musician, you know what I mean? Like cuz there's the tie and then it's from a weird position. You can't really see his face. And then the other photos uh, you know, of the, the other musicians, like, yeah, I, I don't recognize those people. And then the names on the inside, like, I don't recognize those people. They're not on anything else on Revelation. Like, you know, you start to read thanks lists and production credits and you're like, oh, this guy did this. And you start to put things together and make like a tree. This tree doesn't really go very far from the statue 12 inch. They do right? thank Porcel. You know, mm -hmm. he signed them. Um, they thank, uh, and I remember always noticing, because I got this record after 1993. I got it probably in like 90, anywhere from 95 to 97. I don't really remember. Okay. Um, but they thank Daddy Mac, Zach De La Rocha. Hey, <laughs> you know what the, the first band that's thanked in the thanks list is? No Escape. Oh, yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's, that's wild. So, because I got the record, much like Jason, I'm pretty sure just because it was on Revelation. It was sure. Probably, and it was the 12-inch, and it was yeah. like, it might have even been like, I hate, Lord forgive me, but it might have even been in like the dollar bin or something at the store. <laughs> and uh, I grabbed it. And immediately, see, to me, like I, I might have mentioned earlier uh, in the interview, but like to me, I immediately heard the DC influence because – I knew Fugazi and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So it sounded familiar to me in a good way. And somehow that's the only record from back then that survived. Like I had a few records in the nineties, but I was, you know, I liked listening to music on tape or CD cause I could have it on the go. And the record player that I had was pretty shitty. So if I dubbed, like stuff to tape it was really low so i never really got records so it kind of like i didn't have too many 
we had like a flood in my basement and a lot of stuff got ruined. And somehow that statue, I still have the same copy. And I'm glad because it's a great record. Yeah. You know, what I, you know what I fuck with heavy? The bands Him. Heroin and Clickata Ikatawi. Do they thank them in there too? Uh, yes. They thank, well, they thank Heroin and members of Heroin went on to be in Clickata Ikatawi. And then also Alex said that someone from Heroin had been in Statue at some points. Yeah. Right? Um, the first two Heroin Seven Inches are incredible. The full length I didn't really fuck with as much. Um, and the first Clickata Ikatawi 12 inch is really good. And of course, Mario Rubacaba on drums. Yeah, on that the man. I never That's got right. to see Heroin, but I did see Clickata Ikatawi play at UC Irvine with Fisticuffs Bluff, which was another. Uh, I remember that name. Grimo band. Um, that I think even if you want to draw the tree on that, I think that someone from Evergreen was in Fisticuffs Bluff and I loved Evergreen. That Evergreen 12 inch is also incredible. And then I think that maybe there was someone from Antioch Arrow or Angel Hair. Like all of those bands were like- I had a couple of- I had a, when I, when I first- discovered hardcore ebullition was like in full swing yes and their stuff was even i remember being like their stuff was even cheaper than discord yeah yeah So like we, we would um, order and it would be like 250 post paid for yes. seven and so yeah and I a lot of like angel hair uh-huh. uh, mohinder manumission all that, stuff. All that yeah. stuff yeah and and a lot of that so there was a a guy uh this i don't remember his name but um uh he matt anderson was in heroin and he started gravity records and he also had a recording studio in San Diego. So a lot of those records um, kind of, you know, they just came out of that scene and he was producing and putting out a lot of that stuff. So I've never heard heroin. Oh man. I don't think the first, at least if I did, it's good. The, the, the discography is on Spotify. Uh, I don't know what order that it's in, but I would suggest listening to it once. I actually have a really good playlist. Maybe I'll drop it in our Discord that has like heroin, Moss Icon, Universal Order of Armageddon, like, those, those, yeah. like Vermiform and, um, you know, that kind of uh, scene. Like I, I really enjoyed that stuff vermiform yeah well i um i remember that was one of you know we we've talked about glass jaw on here before and reading like you know i'm like this band is so weird like reading about this band that signed to roadrunner and they're working with this like new metal producer but like they are influenced by like bad brains and gravity records so like that was you know I was like oh wow that's wild and like you can kind of hear it on that first record for sure. What was Swing Kids on? Three One G. Okay, which was Justin Pearson's is Justin Pearson's label. I okay. fucking okay. love that Swing Kids seven inch too. Yeah. Also, and so really then funny. that was birthed from Struggle, which again I fucking love that Struggle seven inch and the Struggle twelve inch and. Um, Eric Allen from Unbroken was in both Struggle and Swing Kids as well. So, man, San Diego, it just has so, so much music come out of it. And I always thought that Statue was a San Diego band for some reason. Same. Maybe because of the thing. It has list. that vibe. And yeah. It has that vibe to it. 
So did people talk about statue then when you were going to shows when you were younger? Did people talk about seeing them or? I don't remember ever encountering okay. everyone that's anyone that saw them uh, really. Um, I mean, me and my friends were into the 12 inch and could be because we were again, devouring everything that came out of Rev. Yeah. Like you, like, I'm going to pick this up. I'm going to pick up the into another, I'm going to pick up engine kid. I'm going to pick up whatever it is. And I might not understand it. Like you said, yeah. but at least I'm going to give it a shot. And at that point, like when you're 18 or nine, let's say ages 17 to 20, what else are you going to fucking do with your money? You're going to buy a CD. And then if you don't like it, you'll fucking sell it back to the record store and buy something else. Right? Yes. It's just this, this circle of life. And then some other lucky schmuck gets to pick up your old record in the dollar <laughs> bin. And then you yes. end up liking it years later and buying it back. Yeah. Did you, were you into, uh, I know this is off topic, but whatever. Were you into engine kid back then too? Yeah. I love, I loved uh, angel wings immediately. I it's think. really good. It is. It's I'm, a really, it's a really I'm good record. For that one. Did you see this is topical that uh Southern Lord is doing an engine kid box set for record store day. Yeah. Oh, that's too. wild. Yeah. It's all remastered and it's got, like six LPs or something. So um, one, one other thing uh, that was interesting, you know, growing up with Steve Aoki, we had this group of friends and he had been into sports early in high school. And so we got, we became friends with a lot of the cheerleaders at our school. And one of the cheerleaders at our school was named Lizzie Collins. And so in the song, filter the infection he says is he what does he say is he calling is it calling um i'll have to edit this right uh, to, <laughs> no like you always say no yeah keep it in let me let me, we're, we're not, oh, he says it says is it coming okay right is it coming is it that is part it coming? yeah but so i mean if you listen to it the mondegreen for that part is lizzie collins and so we played this for her, like, look, it says your name in this song. And she's like, oh, my God, it does sound like my name. What's Mondegreen? Mondegreen, when you hear something in a song that's not there. Like me with oh, the I Lifetime. Think. Yeah. With yeah. the Lifetime song on Antibiotic. A Lifetime now. <laughs> a Lifetime now. I thought, God, God, I love that part. Yeah, so. <laughs> Could you imagine if you went up to Ari and you were like, dude, I fucking love this line <laughs> you're like, and, like and then, uh, and then he sends you yeah. back a he sends you back a game a of GIF. thrones gif a yeah. game of thrones yes, gif <laughs> jesus all right yes, we got anything yes. else we got any other uh things to say about this record i mean i'm, I'm something s- to say you got something to say, uh, you got something, to say? something to say record is fucking awesome uh, I don't, I don't, thing. I don't really enjoy listening to it um as much okay. i'm not, like not going to completely dismiss it I also, I think that I got it. Did it come out kind of around the same time as the Circle Storm? Yeah, it did, record? for sure. Okay, so as Character a assassin. teenager, when they came out, I was like, this is not Chain of Strength. I don't want to hear it. Oh, and I okay. immediately dismissed both of those records, Circle Storm and the Statue Something to Say. This now, does not sound like, this sounds out of character for you. Yeah, right? Crazy. So... <laughs> Like now I can appreciate it. To me, it sounds like a demo, the something to say record. 
And I could not believe that that was unmixed. I can hear it now upon further inspection, but to, to understand that, uh, I, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus, but somebody just had to go into the studio and not make a, you know, proper, uh, mix of this. Um, you know who I'm talking about, but, uh, it's, it's, um, it's a little bit disheartening because I think that if those songs had been mixed better, um, it would be, it would be different. So yeah, in 2021, I can understand, I can appreciate the record, but I don't like it as much. Okay. Oh, I like I, it. I'm with Jason where it definitely reminds me more of like that skewball seven. Yeah, it, it definitely does. I think Alex's voice sounds fucking cool on it. It sounds very yeah. Mackay. And I'm, I'm very excited for them to clean it up yeah. and, and release yeah. it. Um, okay. So spec speculation. Okay. Do you think we're getting a 12 inch with filter the infection on one side and something to say on the other? That would make the most sense. Yeah, with definitely. the live tracks also, and maybe no, some no live tracks, no, no live tracks. No live tracks. Okay, just the studio okay. tracks. I yeah, agree. leave those. Leave those on the on the CD. I don't yeah. think okay. that they're. I don't think that they're necessary. Not bonus. Not, again, they can be bonus digital content, like with a. Oh man, let's who I have a record label. Let's put this out. Just kidding. Yeah, they have to be on Rev. Whatever. <laughs> you know, but I I think. Um, I think that would be really cool. I mean, it's not like it's going to be a double because yeah, filter the infection would have to be on ones. It's not like you're going to do a double LP unless they just reissued them both, like put, put something to say out on its own. But I think a discography in this case would be, um, would be better. Like yeah, to yeah. just have it all in one spot. Um, Mass, you know, remaster the yeah. something to say stuff. Make sure it's remix, mix, mixed, <laughs> not mixed. even remix, just mixed, <laughs> mixed non rough mix and remastered everything together. And then, Jason, maybe you should just start putting together some merch designs now, yeah, and show them to Alex. And, and, um, I always thought it was interesting that the only shirt that Rev did said drop the mold because is that a, I don't recall that being like a lyric to any of the thing. songs or anything it's just like on there like yeah it it should have just it could have just said statue filter the infection on the front and the long sleeve version of that had a sleeve print with the the rev star on it right yeah, it's it kind of like it that did. that yellowish creamy kind of like the inside of a banana peel color <laughs> guys let's bring that shirt back rev Come yeah, on. we want to. I will definitely rock it. a statue long sleeve. I yes. would. I would order this again because this shirt, like I talked about with Greg and Hobb before we started, is dry rot. Mm -hmm. Dry rot is. Uh, someone referred to it as goth confetti. Oh, I like that. <laughs> yeah, dry rot. <laughs> um, I got one last question for you, statue related. Hit me. Do you think that statue could go into the studio in 2021 and record some songs? And still have it come out and be statue. I don't see why not. I mean, uh, Al Payne is a riff machine. I agree. Um, and incredibly talented. And we've heard people still sing his praises on this show. People like Andrew Klein, um, you know, who has, still has Andrew. Yeah, bit of bow to Andrew Klein has great stuff to say about Al Payne's bit of bass, bass playing abilities. Um, and so 
I don't see why not. I think that, you know, the, the only thing that might, and this is not a diss or a slight at all, but Alex is a little bit older than when he recorded vocals for this. So his voice has changed over time. I was, I sang for a hardcore punk band in the early two thousands and my voice was fucking harsh as fuck. And if I tried to sing now, it would not sound anywhere near the same. So I think that that that's the only thing that might be a little bit different from these sessions is the the vocal delivery delivery or tone. But yeah. music wise, I think I think that Alpine could write and record a new batch of statue songs that would live up to the. Um, legend of filter the infection. I agree. I think so also. Likewise. I, I don't think so it would too. be that. I think it would be surprising, but I don't think it would be shocking if they came out and said. And like, he's, he's such a good musician. And, you know, Chris is a great drummer. Uh, Randy, I'm not familiar. I'm not as familiar with, but I'm, you know, from all by all counts, like great bass player, like the stuff he's doing on the records is rad. Yeah, sounds um, awesome. I'm not as familiar with, you know, Lord forgive me, as we say, I'm not f- really familiar with his other stuff. Whereas like, you know, Bratton uh, played on the wool record that I love and, you know, he's just a monster fucking drummer. And I just have faith that, yeah, Alex could write songs and Alex is so talented that I think he'd be able to write it, you know, like if his voice was, say different not even just different due to uh you know just growing up he would know how to write songs to suit that like you know how Mm -hmm. certain bands like there's bands where they started when they were young and then they're playing still 30 years later and they have to play the songs like a half step down or whatever yeah they you know just physically your body can't do vocally what you did 30 years ago so I think that he would be able to um, just do something really fucking killer. Um, and that's why I asked. I was like, have you sung at all since? Sang. Sung? Sang. Sure. Uh, Singed. Know, since? Singed, yeah. Have you singed? Singed? <laughs> um, since, because, I don't know, it would be cool. I mean, if they said they had 50 to 75 unreleased songs. Wild. That's that's pretty mind wild. mind bottling and like only like seven have been officially <laughs> released or something like that. Yeah, yeah. but wild. Yeah. Um, well, I'm I'm bummed that we have to stop talking about filter the infection now. Do, do we get to talk to Alpine about anything else in our journey? Uh world be free and like yeah, world be free. 2050, probably uh-huh. when we get to it. Um, yeah, maybe we could bring him on as a special guest from here, you know, sometimes because I like talking to Alex. He's got some some cool stories. So, Alex, I know you're listening to this, and I just want to say you're welcome in our house anytime. And I mean, physically, like my house, like let's have brunch. You know what I mean? I'll, I'll, I'll cook you some a vegan brunch. Yeah, for Rev 35, we'll have like a, a good uh brunch here yeah, i'll be there jason yeah. will be there. i'll be on um, the couch lord forgive me jason and i are gonna fly first class <laughs> yeah <laughs> get, get a hot towel <laughs> hey jason yo what's on our next episode 
Next episode, we got Rev 30, Mike Judge, and Old Smoke Sights. Another mysterious record. And I do yeah. mean mysterious record. I'm really excited for this one because yeah, so am I. Yeah. there's a lot of story that hopefully we can get if we have a guest. Mm-hmm. Who would you interview for something like that? What do you who mean? Do you, who do you even get as a guest? Uh, so much to choose Norman from. Brannon. Old Smoke. Yeah. I, I'm going to read the um, antimatter interview with Mike Judge again in preparation for that video because – or that that interview. Um, if you have it never read it – It was a joke it, since it was a solo album. I, uh, I feel like it's I not, ruined though. it. Is it? It's it, not. It's no, not. He, has a, he has a band and um, – Yeah, yeah he's late, got some players on it. I think the late Todd Schwartz who yeah. played the, har- the uh, harmonica on um, – the storm i yeah. believe he was in the band yeah so um, yes, but, but there were others but i have a lot of questions for that one um mm. and i own a vinyl copy so i'll be able to pop it on the old turntable so i don't do I. I don't own a physical copy of it currently you should get the cassette yeah the cassette looks cool you need the cassette um, i do need it yeah there's a few gaps in my collection i'm looking and i have new to old i mean all the way from uh, uh, I got the newest Revelation cassette, Speedway, What If Not Now. I forgot to talk about that in the intro. It literally just came out this last week, and that's good. It's a, it's a good record. Um, but yeah, I got I, there's a lot of gaps. Some stuff is like shirts, man. It's so expensive. You'd be surprised. Yeah, yeah. You'd like um, a original Break Down the Walls cassette. I mean, you're looking at median price around $50 for that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I can believe that. Yeah. Because it's a, it's an artifact. You know what I mean? If you think about how much the vinyl costs and well, the, cause they've, but they've reissued the vinyl, which I guess brings down some of the price or whatever. Right. But um, they, yeah. Um, cause that to me, break down the walls, even though I never owned on cassette, like that's a cassette album. Like yeah, be, and you know, I owned it on cassette. You can still buy like they just pressed "Start Today" and bringing it down on cassette. Like within the last five years, they pressed new copies of them. And I mean, the Turning Point demo on cassette, Speedway, Torso. Like they're still making cassettes, so it's out there. The the I think what I'm most proud of in my cassette collection is that I have every into another oh the whole collection cassette yeah i have them all nice. on cassette and that, you that celebrate the entire oh, and uh far side i have three i think everything that came out on tape i have on tape so that's good and monroe, I do monroe have, doctrine didn't come on cassette i'm assuming right? no no but i would say check out hov's tape label contraband goods yes.com and also check out version city blues they do tapes. They did a tape release of Strike Anywhere, mm. Nightmares of the West. I did the layout for that one, and it's oh nice. Stuff. And you can pick up some other tapes. Nice. Tapes, tapes are interesting. I was looking on Discogs at Dinosaur Junior stuff, and I forgot that they did a limited box. And now that's yeah, it goes for a lot of money. Yeah, it was the first three albums on cassette. Uh-huh. On cassette, do it comes in like a cool box. I don't. I've looked at it too. I think it's about sixty bucks right now, yeah. which is that's. I mean, that's a lot. Um, yeah, you can do some really cool stuff with cassettes, man, and, and some really cool layouts and packaging. Um, 
friend of the pod, Sex and Glue Zine. Uh, he made this tape that looks like a, a old school VHS. And like you open it up and there's like a tape in there and like a book and all kinds of crazy stuff, you know, like. Well, that's neat. Yeah, you can really do some interesting stuff. I mean, when I, I, when I first started buying music, it was on tape. Totally. But and then, it's so, yeah, same. it's so um, like physically, you could just like throw it around. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's I not had, really going to get damaged. I had these like tape cases, you know, the hell yeah, like yeah, yeah. 10 tapes. Yeah. And, and then. I want to say within like six months of really rapidly buying music, I got a CD player, uh-huh. but I had some cool tapes. I had like my Nevermind was originally on the tape. Yeah. Um, and Metallica black album yeah. and Sonic youth dirty. That yeah. was like one of the, I was like, did you, did you get those from Columbia house? No. Uh, we had a store in my town called Hatboro music. Uh-huh. And, and what was it, it was called? Hatboro. I lived in a town called Hatboro. Uh-huh. Okay. And, uh, the mayor of Hatboro was the guy that ran it. It was just this old dude, but like he would get all like, you know, new tapes, you know, whatever albums came out. He had them the day they were out. And um, there was something cool about cassettes because they were small. Yeah. And um, you know, it forced you to, and I do wonder like, is that why I'm more prone to listen to a whole album because I started on cassettes Right. So you have to listen to the whole side unless you make a mixtape, which is such a pain in the ass. I loved making mixtapes off of seven inches. You know what I mean? Or like, um, yeah. Oh, that's a nice underdog. And so to me, that underdog tape, that looks a lot like um, the 80s, like uh, rock and roll tapes, like Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah, where it, it has like Man of War and stuff like that. Yeah, it's, got, it's got, the, got side like, one and side two. Boxes. It's got the track listing yeah. on the front of it. Yeah. So inside of this underdog vanishing point tape, I pulled this out when we were talking about the episode. I had the ticket stub for the Alive and Well hardcore extravaganza. Nice. How much was that fest? <laughs> this is so price. funny. The fest was twenty dollars. What a ripoff! And, and it was, dude, at the time, I guarantee <laughs> people were like. 20 bucks 20 bucks yeah. it was misfits underdog burn better, better than, than a, a thousand. thousand orange nine millimeter i think also played i oh, think maybe damn. they both played Chaka Chuck, did double sets i think you're right yeah i think it was two separate days so maybe one played on one day and then the other played on the other but this was day one so wild yeah yeah well i think that's all i got today boys yep uh <laughs> cool <laughs> Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Is this going to be another episode that I don't have to edit? I only have to put in like. Yeah, I don't edit it. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna listen to the interview. I think the interview there was a lot of weird yeah. shit in there. There was like some, yeah, some, there was some, some sound. dead dead spaces and stuff like that. But as far as our intro and outro, man, we're industry pros now. We got this down. <laughs> What's up, everybody? This is Javier from the Where It Went podcast. Just wanted to give a special bit of bow to our top-tier patrons. Billy Tunnell, Brandon Gavell, Brand Hubble, Brian Skiffington, Brooklyn, Cesar Falcon, Chad Kiplinger, David Palmer, Dirk Focused, 
G. Jason Head, Jeremy Holohan, John Cowell, Quiet Keith, Logan Weasel, Nate of Head to Wall fame, Rob Moran, Tim Shear, Siren Records, and Dollar Slice Bootlegs. If you'd like to help us out, please visit uh, www.whereitwentpodcast.com and you can find more information. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Bidipo.